This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 132. And this week, I am very pleased to be joined by two returning guests, both Voice of Wrestling contributors. Uh, first of all, Gerard, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. Uh, apologies for missing uh, my last appearance on the uh, year-end awards. I was sick with a cold, but I also saved myself the indignity of saying that I voted Dynamite as best weekly TV show, but I had submitted my ballot before the Dark Order angle happened. <laughs> I think a lot of people did, actually. Yeah, I mean, it ran away with it, but it's also not a ton of competition, you know? Yeah. But but it's still your second appearance of the year because you're back on the Wrestle Kingdom 14 right. uh, show we did, so that's cool. And Paul, this is also your second appearance, uh, our second guest here, Paul. You were also on the Wrestle Kingdom 14 shows. Yeah, I think Gerard actually filled in for me when I woke up too late and missed like half of that of the second night of uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I think I no, I think it was Tyler. I think originally like Tyler was scheduled for night one and you were or you were scheduled for night two. Tyler was scheduled for night one or something. I don't know, but uh, I think Tyler like jumped in and did night two as well or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was it's whatever. I mean, you're still on night one at least. So yeah, yeah. entire. Otherwise, uh, I'm here in the middle of a storm right now, so I've just spent all days like looking at reopens in Japan. Yes, uh, Paul. Paul and I are once again both going to Japan around the same time in October. Although you're going for like a full month, which I'm very jealous of. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm only going for about 11 days. But we were thinking of going to like a Ryokan. I've always wanted to go to like a jet, like a hot real onsen. So you know, figured that'd be a fun way to spend a night. Yeah, definitely. The ones, you, the ones you were looking at were like you sent me looked absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, no, definitely. I want one with like the proper like outdoor like stone like onsen and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but other than that, not what have you been up to? Just uh, you said you're in the middle of a storm. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's actually kind of died down, but it's been like the second storm that we've had in like as many weeks as well. So I hope mm. that like the weather dies down a little bit at least now. Um, so, of course, we're going to talk about all Japan. That's why both of you are here. That's the main topic. I think last week I said we were going to talk about Noah. 
Unfortunately, I assumed it was going to be on DET Universe, which it was not. It was just on, uh, you know, what's it called? Abima. And I don't think all three of us had a VPN or anything. So I haven't seen the show. I don't know if either one of you have, but unfortunately no. that's going to, that's going to, that's going to have to wait until it gets uploaded somewhere. It sounded Sorry. great though, from all yeah. accounts. Yeah. It yeah, sounds like people are Suzuki. Yeah, people are saying Nakajima and Hideki Suzuki is like a match of the year contender. So I'm excited to watch that, but we have not seen it yet. And there was some um, other related news on the show too. Right, we could definitely bring that. That so actually, let's just talk about that now. So they announced a six man tag for their big March show. Uh, I just retweeted it before. So it is on March third in Yokohama. Uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima, Shuhei Tanaguchi, and Junta Miyawaki from Noah against Suwama, Shuji Ishikawa, and Yusuke Okada from uh, All Japan. So that sounds awesome. Very exciting. I mean, Noah has uh, two big shows in March. I think they have the Yokohama show, and they have like another one on like the 24th, I think. Like, right? That sounds right. Yeah, I think so. so or maybe it's February 24th and March 3rd. I don't know. They have two big shows coming up, and that's one of them. So I'm pretty excited about that, that uh, All Japan. So All Japan, Noah, and Wrestle One will all be on the same show. Just like all the all Japan, all Japan and its offshoots coming together, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so we could see what the promotion would actually look like if the splits never happened. Yeah. So uh, it'll be very interesting. But yeah, so that's a big no news. Hopefully they get that up on DT Universe or somebody uploads the same because I really want to see that. But just want to get that out of the way that we did not talk. We did, we did not see the show. So unfortunately, we can't talk about that. But... Um, after this uh, segment we're recording now, I've already recorded a segment on, first of all, mainly on Stardom's February 8th Corkin. It was a solo segment since uh, I guess neither one of you are regular Stardom watchers. Not that I watch every single Stardom show either, but I generally catch every single Corkin and then like uh, random spot shows and matches that people recommend, recommend to me. So I recorded about 45 minutes total by myself yesterday, which is on the Stardom February 8th, February 8th Corkin. I also previewed the upcoming four New Japan Corkins and the DET Corkin because that'll be the subject of next week's show. So after you finish listening to me, Paul, and Gerard on All Japan, uh, just keep you know keep on listening, and you can hear my solo segment on uh, mostly on Stardom, but also with a brief preview of those upcoming shows. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in Japanese wrestling right now. Just a lot of uh, a lot of promotions that seem like they're firing on all cylinders. It's and All Japan. Wild. Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's kind of wild, and there's going to be a hell of a competition for Booker of the Year this year, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, Stardom, as I will talk about on that segment, like, they really feel like they've hit like a new stride under, uh, you know, under the new Bushiroad ownership. Uh, new Japan, I think, is just having an outstanding start of their year. Um, you know, that, that feels as fresh as, as that felt in, you know, eons, really. Um, you know, Noah, you know, it has the new DDT owners, and they feel... You know, like they're really doing interesting stuff right now. And, you know, as we're going to talk about here, All Japan, I mean, um, even though I didn't love the main event of this show, which, you know, we'll talk about, I still thought this was a really solid Corican, you know, as far as like uh, fun stuff up and down the card. And, you know, they have a new direction with reportedly uh, Shuji Ishikawa as the new booker. So do you want to talk a little bit about that, Gerard, the booking change of All Japan? Uh, Yeah, it's been... Like, I don't know, like it just moved so fast. It was actually quite impressive because the way that the company was booked, well, I'm in, and I'm assuming that Jun Akiyama had a big hand in that, although it was said that Sushi Aoki 
did as well when he was still alive is that you know things move kind of slowly and you weren't going to get like a bunch of angles on one show and then all of a sudden on january well there was some like teasing of it beforehand between the real world tag league and the first shows of january but on like january third second and third it was like boom 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 angle angle new factions formed and throughout the tour like people would join either purple haze like zeus joined purple haze on the january tour and then on back-to-back shows you had fuminori abe and ayato yoshida join Jin. so just the number of angles and having smaller shows mean something like it's just totally transformed the promotion and i hope i'm not sounding too like hyperbolic but it's just been a really fast change to everything so what the rumor is right that basically um you know after aoki's untimely passing june akama last year basically um you know agreed to stay on his booker for the rest of the year which I don't know if that was widely reported. I feel like I didn't hear that at least if that was what happened, but it didn't feel like a lot changed in all Japan, you know, even after he you know, quote unquote stepped down yeah. last year. But obviously if that, I think the timeline adds up because if you look at the shows since 2020 started, I mean, it feels like, like you're saying like a whiplash, like just a, a totally different vision. Um, you know, we have new units, we have uh, outside interference in all Japan for the first time ever, which you could say, <laughs> A good thing, but it's definitely different. Well, it's um, not the first time. Some of them not first time ever. Like but, you know, the in first, a long time, time like yeah. voodoo murders were around or something like that. Right. I should have yeah, said first time. Kind of it's why, like the whole like back end of like 2020 felt like there was just nothing going on because if, it, if this was just like Akiyama like holding on to the position until the end of the year, that explains why it didn't really start like anything new and why it, like felt so stale as well because it was literally in a holding pattern. Yeah. Uh, did R O and D used to do interference too? I think. Oh, that's right. right so yeah. I guess I guess that whole period was like a lot of the, the Mudo period had had yeah. a bunch of interference, which is I don't really remember. Do, has Russell One had a lot of that? I feel like they haven't. No, I don't recall. Yeah, I think so they I, had it like right at the start, but then they kind of like it kind of got less as Mudo got less involved. I think. Mm, I mean, that's why I maybe mean, Mudo is the one who loves the interference stuff but yeah so uh all japan bringing back outside interference i guess is a better way to put it but yeah the crowd seemed to really dislike it no they did not like it as, yeah <laughs> i don't know if that's good heat or not. i guess we'll wait and see but uh it's if, mostly if it's the second or third match it's fine but that was the semi-main event like world tag team titles right that's a completely yeah. different thing so I mean, it's it's really just the purple haze unit doing it, I guess, yeah. right? That's pretty much, which is a new like Zeus led unit. So it's like it's a. It, I like purple haze other than the interference because it's like one of these old school like scummy indie heel units, which I, I've always been a big fan of. So uh, you know, it's like Zeus and his fucking you know scumbag indie pals. It's a very it's very uh very fun. Yeah. Um... It is fun. It's just I don't want outside interference yeah. in the world tag match. Yeah. yeah. No, if it's like uh, the I don't know, like third from the bottom, like random six man tag, like that's fine. But yeah, not in a title match. Yeah, and they um, they also had I think one or two DQ finishes on like spot shows in January too, involving Purple Haze. Yeah. Um, but is it, it there's is there another new unit? Am I going crazy? Jin. Oh yeah, the Jin, and that's like. I, in my head, that's barely new because they, that almost feels like a continuation of Sweeper. But uh, you or know, it's, it's just, like it almost even a continuation of Next Stream because yeah. Jake Lee yeah. and Nomura were like World Tag Champions briefly when they were in Next Stream. But then uh, I think 
Lee blew out his knee and was out for like nine months. Yeah. So you have yeah, obviously and then he left when he came back. Yeah. So you have like you know obviously the the main guys, but also like Ayala Yoshida is in that uh, Fuminori Abe. I mean, it's a very it's a very interesting unit. I'm that unit is very cool. What it is. Yeah. And and it sort of like goes to show the changes in the company because first it's clearly that Shuji Ishikawa is using his connections because he's all of a sudden there's now seems to be a closer relationship with Noah, which was sort yeah. of always on and off, but now it seems closer. And then you know the DDT connection with Takagi now as Noah president, and the regular use of Abe who you know sort of go, came through the Basara uh, and everything like that. So it's I quite clear. He- I think he is still considered a bizarre roster member. So. Yeah. Oh, and Irie yeah. is from DDT as well. So it's, yeah. yeah, that all adds up again, your circumstantial evidence of Ishikawa booking. I mean, it's good for the scene because I feel like with New Japan becoming such a fucking like 500 pound gorilla, you know, I mean, we got news this week that they're going back to primetime on BSSIE, which I think. People, I don't think people even realize how big of a story that is because people hear like, oh, it's a satellite network, so people must not get it. Like I've heard anywhere from like 50% of the country to like Dave Meltzer and the Observer said 70%, which I assume he got from, uh, what's his name? The Pacific. Fumi Saito. Fumi Saito, thank you. Um, like a lot of network, a lot of televisions. This is, it's not 1999 anymore when like, you know, nobody could get satellite. Like, they are building satellite receivers like inside Japanese televisions now. And BSSIE is not a network that you have to subscribe to. Like basically if your television or your setup can get satellite networks, you get that channel for free. It's, it's a free network. And you know, it's, it's got way more penetration than your samurai TVs or your, even like the uh, Asahi channel two, which is where the, the, the network that airs all the new Japan shows live. Um, you know, that's a, that's a subscription network. So that one, you know, probably like, I'm guessing like 10% of the country or something probably gets. Yeah, but for like, years and years, I, w- I was basically read like, oh, yeah, like Samurai TV or Gayora. It's like only 10% of the country had these like setups. Yeah, but like BSFIE, that's a, you know, it's a different broadcast standard that these are on. Those are like CS channels. These are BS channels, hence the name. And those are apparently easier to get. They're most of them are free. I think there are some pay ones on there, but like this, he is definitely free. I mean, just being in Japan, like I, you know, I, I was interested in like what networks, you know, what TV stations we got. And like, I'm pretty sure everywhere I went, like hotel and Airbnb got those networks. So like, and meanwhile, I never found Samurai TV. Yeah. I found Gaora and uh, like t- uh, SAE channel two a couple times, but not that often. So you know, BSFC, that's a network a lot of people get. Um, so New Japan will be on primetime, 8 p.m. on Friday, the old, uh, you know, time slot. And it's, it's obviously not as good as having your big recap show on, you know, broadcast, but this is the next best thing. And people absolutely will, like, just come across it, like, channel surfing now, which they were not. I mean, for people who don't know, on BSSIE before this, before April, before they're going back to primetime, they were on late night. Like, I think it was like, you know, I don't think it was quite 2.30 a.m. like they are on broadcast, but I think it was like, you know, midnight or something or 11.30. So they were they were on very late night, even on the satellite channel. So obviously they've, they've done all this growth without being on 
you know, primetime anywhere. So they're already this 500 pound gorilla in the scene, which is my original point. And now they're going to get even more exposure with, you know, primetime television on a network. Lots of people get. So, you know, if anything, they should, they should only grow further from here. So I would, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the rest of the scene, uh, like th- the more that they can work together and the more they can band together, you know, to, to hopefully get some growth going with those promotions, I think the better. Like, I think they really got to put the Eagles aside and you really got to give people, you know, the interpromotional stuff, but like really give people the all Japan, Noah, you know, DDT, Russell one, like all these companies should be working together to, you know, really try to get some excitement going because they got to do something to counter, uh, you know, just how powerful new Japan has become. Right. And I don't know if the Japanese TV scene is, like it is in North America where, you know, people will copy each other. So I have no clue if, even if they pop a good rating for new Japan on BS Asahi, if that means that other TV channels will want to put primetime wrestling or not. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because like one of the big um, incentives is that Asahi owns new Japan. Like they own part of new Japan. Mm-hmm. And in the past, you know, like um, you would say, well, maybe nip on TV would, which owns like I don't know if they still own part of Noah or they just own the the back catalog, but like you know maybe nip on TV or counter and put them on the air, you know, um, on a major time spot on their satellite network or something. But I don't know if that's still the case. Like I don't know if they really have the same incentive structure to do that. So maybe if it's a yeah, big I think, or something. I think you also can't forget that a lot of the promo- bigger promotions in Japan are actually owned by like a TV station. Yeah. So like Dragon Gate being like heavily involved, like Geora being heavily involved in Dragon Gate. So like they're going to be always tied to that channel. And then obviously DDT with Cyber Agent and the Beamer. So they probably want to keep them on their services and don't want to put them on like, like regular TV as well. I would yeah. assume at least. So I've really like the only one, like all Japan, I guess maybe could get a better TV deal out of this maybe. And well, big Japan, Probably not. So, <laughs> I, yeah, right forever. Well, the thing is, though, Georg does have some sort of involvement. I don't know what the level is with AJPW TV. Mm. So, that might be an issue. I mean, and, and me being like, and I, I, for, me, I forgot about Dragon Gate too when talking about promotions working together. I mean, a Dragon Gate guy is the All Japan Junior Champion. So, I mean, if you want to hear my completely like unfounded theory that I have in my head right now, is like with all the like consolidation that's like going on right now and promotions getting bought left and right, the Dragon Gate guys getting more involved with all Japan to me, like, would it be completely out of left field if Geora ended up like either investing heavily or like even like outright buying all Japan as well? I mean, it wouldn't shock me. And there are different enough promotions from Dragon Gate that you can, you know, justify owning both the same way that uh you know, Cyber Agent owns all Japan, or all, I mean, Noah and uh, DDT. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's very interesting what's going on in Japanese wrestling right now with the, the corporate consolidation, uh, New Japan moving to a stronger network or a stronger time slot. Um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And like, you know, you wonder how much of it is again in preparation for uh, what apparently is still WWE's eminent invasion. So I don't know what the fuck they're doing and what they're, what they're even thinking right now with uh, all the other issues that companies having, but apparently, you know, every time I ask about it, people are like, "No, that's still happening. They're still preparing." I'm like, "Okay, I don't Is know." You Jiro still working indie problems? shows? Uh, that's a good question. Because I haven't check. seen him pop up anywhere big recently. I don't think. 
Yeah, I think he might be done. I think it, what didn't he have his goodbye show like a, a few weeks ago or something? Oh, that's no, right. isn't? Oh wait, no wait, that's only airing right the, uh, the, Yeah, I think it happened the, already. But... Versus, uh, Dan Seven match, like he was like on that show as well. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like his last match was December thirty first at the Wonder Carnival. So there you go. Uh, I don't know if he's. Uh, I don't know if that means he's not he's done or that's according to Cage match, that's his last match. Enjoying the sun in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you <laughs> also have like Quiet Storm just left Noah as well. And I mean he I mean he would be like a good bridge person for NXT Japan, I suppose, because well, obviously he's American, but he has a Japanese wife. So and he knows, and he knows a language knows both languages and yeah. stuff. I mean that's the kind of guy, yeah, you think they want to hire. Uh but I don't know. I mean it's it's luck. I, I, I don't I, I they're definitely gonna like raid some companies and they're gonna sign some people and that's you know, you, you do have to be worried about that if you're a Japanese wrestling fan, but like that that whole operation has looked so inept so far yeah. that like it, it doesn't it doesn't carry like I feel like a couple of years ago there was a lot more fear there, especially watching what you know, a year or two ago, watching what they did to the fucking UK, you know. I think there was oh, a lot yeah. more there was a lot more fear there. But now you have all these companies you know all these promotions are owned by these giant companies now it just feels like the scene is a lot healthier than it was you know even a couple of years ago there's just a lot more um you know there's a lot more like big money involved and there's a lot more like you know promotions that look like they're in no danger of uh have going out of business or anything so i don't know just i'm, I'm not as worried as i was about that a year or two ago but no i mean still- yeah I mean, Noah, I mean they pretty much said that like if cyber agent had like stepped in and bought uh yeah then they would have probably just died or would have had to like sell to WWE as well. So, yeah. So it feels like everything's a little more stable now. I guess we'll see, you know, what, what WWE chooses to do, but uh, I don't know. I'm not really, I don't really know if a big Japan Sendai girls NXT Japan is really that frightening. No, not really. And I mean, how many wrestlers are really going to be swayed by like the promise? I mean, I can get it for like American or UK wrestlers where it's like, I can work WrestleMania. I don't know if that many Japanese wrestlers are going to be swayed by the promise of like, oh, you can work like a half for Kurokan Hall and Shinkiba. Like, <laughs> you don't really need to leave your current promotion for that. Well, I think it depends how big those contracts are because for some of those indie workers, like, you know, I mean, how much is Daisuke Sakamoto really making in big Japan, you know? Right. And, and um, what could even WWE offer him? Yeah, it's a good point. So it's like what, I mean, it's, it, I think the people that will go there, you know, are they'll probably be the people that, that really like dreamed of WrestleMania to begin with and all that stuff. Maybe it'll, they'll, the same kind of people that are already going. And then I would be more worried about like the people who aren't with a major promotion that I would be worried about. Like, uh, you know, like I don't see yeah, Kento, someone, Mi- Kento Miyahara is probably no, not going there. No. Someone so. I fully expect to sign with NXT Japan as soon as it starts and it's probably going to piss off a lot of Joshi people is like Lulu Pencil. I think she's <laughs> probably like a lot to jump to NXT Japan. <laughs> I heard it here. You heard it here first, folks. I guess. All right, so let's get into this All Japan Pro Wrestling Show. Uh, this was the February 11th Corican. That uh, was the, the Excite Power Series, right? Excite. Excite Series. Excite, just Excite Series. Okay. Um, and this was a, you know, this a very good house here, 1687, you know. That's their uh, biggest since the champion carnival last year. 
yeah. So I mean, people were very into uh, Aoyagi as a challenger. That's pretty clear. And you know, any the, any other excitement of a uh, you know the the general new moves going on. I wondered how much if Nakanishi didn't help a little bit. I could see a couple hundred couple sure. hundred extra people showing up to see one of uh, Nakanishi's last matches. That was a smart little booking to bring him in for an all Japan pro wrestling final special. Well, Akiyama and Nakanishi, I guess were roommates in college, I think, uh-huh. but they were definitely uh, went to the same university and on the wrestling team at the same time. Yeah. So I that's where what, that sort of they ever, comes from. Did they ever have a singles match? I feel like they didn't. I don't remember one. Let me say Akiyama. Cage match can always answer this. Oh, oh they did was... in the, the 2003 G1, and they did also at Wrestle Kingdom 3. So there you go. Oh, okay. uh, Akiyama won them both. I, I, now I vaguely remember that Wrestle Kingdom match. That was 2009, so not that long ago. But uh, yeah, it was only only about ten and a half minute match. But um, that 2003 G one is one of my favorite G ones. Yeah, it's a really good G one. Uh, let's see all of let's see all of Nakanishi's all Japan matches because I'm curious. He he teamed up with Omori to challenge Akiyama and Nagata a couple years ago. That was like the during that all Asia tag title reign. So let's that see. That was like a really an- oh wait I think I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I was at the what's it called show, the uh, it, the Saitama show, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, wasn't okay. that the one? No, wait, wasn't that the one where Kento won the title? I believe so. I think yeah. that's correct. But yeah, he's only wrestled six matches in all Japan, so this was the this was the sixth. <laughs> so he had a all the way back in two thousand one during the the New Japan All Japan feud, which is like one of the most underrated feuds ever. He only appeared in All Japan once during that period when he uh, he and Yutaka Yoshi challenged Johnny Smith and Tayo Kea for the World Tag Team titles, and they did not succeed, unfortunately, at a Budokan show. And then he appeared in 08 a couple times. Uh, 2011, him and Nagata lost to uh, Masakatsu Funaki and Suwama. And then the 2018 match, and then this match. So there you go. A little weird, maybe, that he got a All Japan final when he's not exactly even been a regular guest star. But I guess uh, being roommates for Uncle June do that for you. But I'm sure that that could have added like an extra couple hundred fans, I think, or at least a hundred or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy, people people don't underestimate how many fans that guy has. I mean, he's pretty popular. Uh, okay, so I want to start at the top here because the main event. I would call this the somewhat controversial main event. Uh, <laughs> Kento Miyahara defending the Triple Crown title against Yuma Aoyagi. Uh, he successfully defended it in 2409 with the shutdown suplex hold. That was his 10th defense. Um, so I've, you know, first of all, like as I watched this show live, this show aired 11.30 a.m. Japan time uh, on February 17th, back on, not February 17th, February 11th, back on Tuesday, which was a, it was a Japanese holiday is why. So I was able to watch this Monday at 9.30, which, uh, first of all, imagine watching Monday Night Raw when you could have watched this show. It's, uh, <laughs> like, I, it was funny because my Twitter timeline was, like, half people, like, the weirdos that still watch Raw, and then, like, half people tweeting about the All Japan show. It was a kind of funny little mixture there. But, yeah, um, <laughs> so this match, you know, as it aired, I think the the Twitter timeline and the reactions from people who watched live – was very mixed. Like, um, you know, I think some people really didn't like it and I would even include myself in that category. And some people I think were like, well, it was good, but not up to the, the standard of a lot of Mihara defenses. 
And, you know, after, as the week went on and more people watched it who weren't, didn't watch it live, I think there was almost a backlash to the first group yeah. where they were like, I guess they heard, you know, that this match really wasn't that great or wasn't as good as other matches. And they were like really going crazy about it. Like, I, I don't know, like, uh, I think I listened to the, I don't remember if it was Alan for L or it might've been Alan for L who said like, uh, the people who didn't like this matches were lunatics or something, or he definitely used something about crazy. Uh, so Alan was not happy, I guess, with the, the critiques of the match. And then the voice wrestling flagship, I know Rich and Joe were both very high on this match and, you know, questioning the, the people who didn't like it. So I'm definitely going to give a, you know, a bit of a defense of, I guess the people who didn't like it and why I didn't care for this match. Um, but you know, it's it, I it, I don't think it was like the worst match I ever saw or anything, but like there were some big big issues I have with it, and that's what I'm gonna get into here. Um, I guess before I go, you know, more blow by blow, I guess Gerard, I think both of you watched the show live, right? Yes. Or was it just Gerard? I did. Paul, did you did you watch it? Uh, no, it was like two thirty in the morning here. I actually watched like in bits and bobs like over the week, and I actually finished it off this morning. So I don't know what you thought of the main event, actually. So that'll be interesting. But Gerard, I know that I think I know what you thought, which was, I think you were in the category that thought it was good, but not up to his usual standard. Unless I'm putting words in your yeah, mouth. Yeah, but... nope, that's perfect. Yeah, I'm in that sort of middle group. I went uh, three and three quarters on it, which is also what uh, Meltzer um, gave it. And sort of some of the critiques, I guess I was listening to the flagship. Uh, I don't know, people were calling Kento Miyahara lazy. I didn't think Mihar was lazy, um, but I just I don't I thought the the this Aoyagi was he did some great like heel work. I just thought he wasn't up to snuff in this match. Um, like I I was really high on him going into this match because he would have been my MVP in the real world tag league. He was incredible that entire tournament, but it was like in a sort of a sprint uh, setting like that was this kind of style of a lot of the matches he looked great in. So I think maybe going the tw- wait, this went 24 minutes. I thought he looked a little exposed. I don't think this is some sort of like career ruining thing or anything like that. He's only going to get better and the crowd seemed to love it. It just didn't hit super high with me. Paul, what did you, I, I guess, uh, I have no idea what you thought of the match, Paul. Were you in the, the group afterwards that loved it and thinks the critiques are crazy or what, what did you come down on the match? No, I think we're all three kind of in line here. I thought it was fine but like it wasn't blow away and it was kind of like the second time in a row that like Kento like the Kento title defense was like outrun by another match on the card but yeah I I, th- I think kind of probably uh, my problem with this match wasn't really Kento himself I mean like with Gerard it was more Yuma where I've all, I, I do like Yuma and I know he has a lot of potential but I do think that, like, generally, he hasn't really shown all that much in, like, singles matches. And he definitely needs to get better, like, at, like, being on top in a match. Like, I think he's really good when he's, like, selling. But I do think he, like, tends to kind of, like, run out of ideas when he's on offense pretty quickly. So I'm, I, I am going to differ a little bit from the two of you, then, because I, I think I'm even lower than the two of you on this match. And I don't think Yuma was the big problem. I think Yuma looked really good for a lot of this match. There was one thing he did towards the very end that really pissed me off. And that I'm going to talk about when I get there. But for the most part, I thought he was really good in this match where people, they, they talk a lot about the critique of Kento is lazy on the flagship and like, didn't really, I don't know if they really even like engaged with it. They just kind of said that critique is, 
you know, dumb or whatever. So I think I'm going to give, I'm going to give my best defense of that critique and I'm going to tell you why I think it was more accurate here than it maybe has been in the past. I don't think when people call Kento Mihar lazy, I don't think they're saying he is literally like not doing anything. I think it's more like in a, like I saw the critique a lot from people who don't normally like him that, you know, he gave Yuma nothing. He didn't, you know, uh, you know, I think it's more like he didn't like go outside of his comfort zone, do different kind of stuff, like really try to work with this guy. I think, people think he's got a formula and he kind of sticks to it. And to a degree, I think that's kind of true. I don't think that automatically means he's like bad or anything. I think he's actually, you know, I think he's really, really good most of the time. And in the past, I haven't really seen the lazy Kento critique, but here I thought like, you know, some of what he did in this match, like the, uh, the setup where he misses the chop and hits the post. I feel like he's done that like maybe three or four times during this title reign. I just feels like I've seen that a million times. Um, it was, you know, very dull at the start. And that, that I think was part of the problem that the, the chop, the post thing was not a great setup. Um, you know, and then he got into like the arm selling and the arm selling is what really, I think drags this match down from just, you know, to where otherwise I may have had it like at that three and three quarter level, but like he sold this arm in a really obnoxious and annoying way, like in the, almost like that Will Ospreay, like, scream-selling way, which, you know, like, when, which Ospreay doesn't even do anymore. That was, like, 2018 Will Ospreay. Like, that's who it felt like he was channeling. And, like, it was way too over-the-top, especially for my personal taste. Like, I, I really hate that, like, over-the-top scream-selling. And then the problem is, you know, like, I've seen other people say that he sold the arm throughout. He did, but he also forgot about it a lot. Um, you know, like there was a really crazy German suplex sequence, but like that was, you know, Kento just completely forgot about the arm during that entire sequence. He was throwing a lot of like these perfect fast strikes with the bad arm. Um, like he really, it felt like if you're going to go so over the top with that arm selling, which again, I don't even like to begin with as an aesthetic choice in a wrestling match, you cannot have it become a phantom arm, uh, you know, a phantom injury for the rest of the match. Like it can't, like you have to like, be consistently selling it throughout the entire match. And, you know, I think people get lost in this where it's like, oh, I don't want to hear about nitpicking on the selling. Choosing to sell a limb like that is already a fucking choice of wrestling match. If he wasn't going to commit to it for the entire match, he just shouldn't have fucking done that in the first place. Like, just don't do the crazy screaming over the top selling if you're not going to commit to that for the rest of the match. So I don't know if that makes him, you know, quote unquote lazy. I do think it's like they had this idea to do this arm thing and then it just felt like it got completely abandoned, especially, you know, down the stretch and stuff. So like, you know, I, I saw some people say, well, he he struggled to get the shutdown German. So that proves that he was set on the arm. It's like, yeah, but he, he struggles to get the shutdown German in every match. <laughs> so it's not like it's, um, you know, some big special struggle it's like maybe he sold it a little bit more but like he, if you watch any control me hard title match he's always going to struggle to get the shutdown german the guy, other guy always tries to break free and like doesn't let him get the grasp or whatever like that's not that's not anything special on its own so i couldn't believe i saw it as a defense of his arm selling but yeah i don't know like that's that's my general feeling um i, I don't know if the lazy kento critique is necessarily correct i think it might be 
I, I get why people think it's a little over the top and people are like, well, you just don't like aces or whatever. But, you know, I definitely think at defense 10 here, I get why there's like a Kento fatigue that's setting in with people. And, you know, even though he is an outstanding wrestler, I thought this was a, you know, this was like the the nadir of this reign, basically. And like the, you know, where Kento, it didn't feel like Kento was doing anything new or different. You know, he had a different opponent and a chance to do something, you know, maybe outside of his comfort zone. It felt like a very uh, standard match, you know, of his. So that's, that'd be my big critique. Uh, Yuma, I liked him a lot. At the very end, I don't think he should. I, I know some people loved it. I didn't like that he did that goofy kung fu pose after the uh, the, the 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 kick flurry or whatever because it's like, you know, and then do, and then does that cocky pin after. It's like I get he's doing a heel character, but like there's a difference between a heel character and an idiot. I mean, he looked like a fucking idiot doing this this cocky bullshit when you have a chance to beat this unbeatable champion who's trying to get his record-tying 10th defense. I mean, I don't know if that's the time to be doing, like, your cocky pose or whatever. It just kind of felt like he was, uh, you know, it didn't feel like the right uh, the right kind of character moment for the moment he was in. So that would be my big critique of Yuma. But the rest of the match, I thought he was pretty great. But uh, that would be my big complaint. Now, to know. be fair for Yuma, I have to say that like, all of his stuff he did and, like, the lead-up to this match was awesome. Like, all of yeah. his little heel stuff and even, like, during his entrance when he gave, like, this, like, really shitty, like, the shitty grin, like, the thumbs up to the people, like, swiveling the towels. And when he attacked, uh, when he attacked Kento in the, like, pre-game, in the, like, pre-match, like, press conference, that was absolutely awesome. But, yeah, then, like, in the match, yeah, as you said, like, he had, like, his weird, stupid moments in there and didn't necessarily always fit, so... I think he has to like he has to essentially like channel the like humor in the build up then like in the big match itself as well. Yeah, and I gave it two and three quarters. By the way, that's the rating I came in at. So very low. Uh, obviously, I think the lowest Kento title match I've ever come in at. But I just I didn't like the match. Uh, you know, I didn't think it was very good, especially for this obviously for a triple crown title match. So what are you gonna do? Even though I didn't go as low as you, it's still also my lowest rated Kento triple crown match of this reign. Yeah. No. Uh, any other final thoughts on this match before you move on? I, I've watched it twice, and I will admit that, in my opinion, I thought the selling of the arm was a little better. I thought on the second watch, but not enough to make me like radically reevaluate my ra- rating of it or anything like that. Okay. Anything to add, Paul? Uh, no, I think I've got everything. Okay. The uh, semi-main was the All Japan World Tag Team titles uh, Suwaba and Shuji Fukawa defending against Shigehiro Irie and Lucas Steele uh, of course from the new Purple Haze unit. Um, the thing that really struck me watching this was like first of all how tiny Irie looked in there with Shuji. Like he's just he's a wide man but he's a very short man and especially when it's in there you know you're so used to seeing him in DET that maybe you just don't even notice. Uh, but like, yeah, when he's in there with Ishikawa, he looks fucking tiny. Um, you know, and then we, this is where we had the, uh, you know, the, a lot of the uh, interference and stuff, you know, they pulled out the ref, there was powder, a chair shot, and the fans were like big mad about the interference. But after the interference was over, I thought it turned into like a, a good little hoss fight. And, you know, Swam like tossing Lin, Lin, uh, Lucas Steele, almost called him Lance Steele, <laughs> tossing him around and then pinning him with three straight back, backdrops. I was really into that, but it also felt like it ended right when I was getting like super into it. So I couldn't go higher than like three and a quarter. 
but I enjoyed it. Other than the, you know, I, the interference didn't like drive me completely crazy because it's almost like a, um, I don't know, like the, like the novelty of seeing it in a major All Japan match was kind of interesting, and just the novelty of seeing the fan reaction was kind of interesting. But uh, it's nothing I want to see on a regular basis. So I hope they uh, they do get away from that eventually after a while. What did you think of this one, Gerard? Uh, I liked it quite a bit, except for the interference. I went three and a half. I thought the end was fun with Suwama and Steel. I thought the Ishikawa and Irie stuff at the beginning was also really good. It's just sort of the middle with the interference that dragged it down. Um, I know that there's a lot of mixed thoughts from people on Irie, but I think he will fit in in, in all Japan uh, with the, the bigger guys. And I thought that I, was uh, proof of this. Yeah, I don't know. People seem down on him. I like him. Uh, you know, except for the only time I didn't like him his entire career was that DDT heel run where it just didn't work. But like, other than that, I, I usually enjoy him a lot. He's not a guy that I don't enjoy. I mean, he's not like a, like best in the world or anything, but like, I don't know. He's on a card, especially on an undercard. I feel like he always brings something to the table. So mm-hmm. I like, I like having, I, I like the fit for all Japan. So I think it's, you know, he's in two units now too, because he's also in strong hearts. So it's very interesting. Right. Paul, what do you think of the World Tag Team Championship match? Yeah, I think the match was pretty good, but as you said, like it ended kind of as it got really going. So I was actually kind of hoping there was like a, like I would have enjoyed it a lot more if there actually was like a bit more of like a good hot like closing stretch, and we didn't really get that. Where, well, like they just ended the match essentially, but it felt very decisive. I did really like Lucas Steele where, I mean, it's clear that he's still like fairly green, but he's got like good size in him. And once he kind of like properly starts working to that size as well, I think he's going to fit in really well with the promotion. And I think being around people like Erie and kind of like Zeus, I think it's going to really help him develop as well. Uh, match number five, the All Japan World Junior Heavyweight title, Suzumi Yokosuka defeating uh, Francesco Akira and let me get the match time. Wow, this was a really short compared to what I would have thought. 11.32 with the Akosuka cutter. Uh, this I thought was the clear match of the night. This was friggin' awesome. Um, you know, there was... It, I mean, Akira is a guy they have high hopes for and he has shown a lot here and you know, Susumu is such a great professional wrestler and you know, he... You know, he has this obvious size advantage and he used it really, you know, very early on and just like kind of shrugged off a lot of Akira strikes and got the crowd who already loves this guy anyway. Like they love this Italian boy, but they got him, you know, they got the crowd even more behind him. Um, You know, he emphasized his quickness and like his ability to avoid moves. Um, You know, it turned into like a really hot closing stretch. And, you know, all these girls like screaming for the you know scheme for akira and by the end you know susumu just kind of takes the wind out of the sails he gets these huge jumbo no kachis after akira done a great job avoiding them throughout and then finally puts them away with another one in the yokosuka cutter uh i went four and a quarter on this i thought there was like a really like awesome junior sprint um you know i thought susumu was a great base and akira was like a dynamo in there so that was awesome uh, and afterwards, Susumu, he basically said he wanted to defend the title in Dragon Gate, but uh, Yusuke Okada ran out because he didn't like that idea. So I guess we're going to get Susumu and Okada next, which definitely signed me up for that. Uh, it's on the 22nd or 23rd in Osaka this month. 
Oh, awesome. There you go. So, yeah. What'd you, what'd you think of this one, Gerard? Uh, I went four stars. I'm going to take two victory laps on this match. I said in my preview at Voices of Wrestling that this thing could hit four stars, and it did. And I was on the Francesco Akira train from day one when a lot of people were like, who's this like skinny 12-year-old in all Japan? But to me... And then and I was grading on a curve because this is all Japan junior division. The guy could do flips. The guy can work the crowd. That is like literally all you need to like show some improvement in that division compared to what it once was. Uh, this was awesome. Um, a career making performance uh, for Akira in a lot of ways. And also on today's show in the main event, six man tag, Akira pinned Hikaru Sato which would be probably the biggest win of his career up to this point. So it's quite clear that they're all in on him now. Yeah, that's pretty great. I mean, look, he's already super over. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see why you wouldn't go with him. Uh, what do you think, Paul? Uh, I'm also going to take a quick victory lap as well, because in the uh, preview for the New Year Wars, I actually predicted that Susumu was going to win the belt and that he would that, that that he would have a tremendous title reign because he would be the perfect guy to put in the ring for like all of these young guys that exist in the All Japan Junior Division now and that's exactly how it's going seems to be like working out right now. Yeah, I thought this match was really good and I think Akira has like tremendous potential. It's I think I think the only thing that he's missing so far is that he needs to fill out that body a little bit, but I think he's also like ridiculously young still. I think he's like 19 or 20 years old. So obviously like as he like like matures and like works out a bit more, like he's going to fill out that frame. And I think in general, like having Susumu in there is great. Like you can't, if you just look at the All Japan Junior Division, All Japan finally has a good junior division. We're only like two years removed from Ultimo and Tajiri like laying on the mat, pretending to do grappling and having like a junior division with an average age of like 45. And now it's like they have all of these young people there. They have Abe, they have Iwamoto, they have Okada and they have the good Italian boy. And then they have like the young boys like Dan Tamura that are like coming up as well. So I think like all Japan's junior division is really actually really, really good now. It might be one of the best junior divisions in Japan now. Okay, so uh, the fourth match, the Manabu Nakanishi All Japan Pro Wrestling final eight-man tag, uh, Junakiyama, Manabu Nakanishi, Osama Nishimura, and Yutaki Yoshi defeating Yoshitatsu, Ryoji Sai, Tajiri, and Dan Tamura. In 1029, uh, Nakanishi submitted Tamura with the Argentine backbreaker. Um, I was trying to say before my audio cut off there, <laughs> you mentioned Don Tamura that, uh, you know, that he's like one of the younger guys. I thought he looked pretty damn good in this match. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was a, he looked like a promising young wrestler. Um, I also, the, I'm looking at the all Japan website with auto translate on and they I'm just amused that Manabu is study Nakanishi, which makes sense if you know <laughs> that word, but it's just funny. Uh, yeah. So they, this is a, this was a really fun little match. I mean, they, they mostly beat up on Tamura uh, he did a great job selling. Um, you know, he made the tag, and then all three of his parents like <laughs> beat down Nakanishi to big booze. But then he cleaned house and all of them with double sledges. This crowd loved Nakanishi, which is like one of those reasons why I said before, like he may have been like a little bit of a minor draw. Um, and then Tamura like basically did his best, you know, Nakanishi impression, but then got grabbed by the throat by the real thing. Uh, he put him up in the Argentine. 
he swung his legs around to kick the mist out of Jiri's face, which I thought was that was the uh, best part of the match. Yeah, that was great, and then got the win. I went three and a quarter on this. I really enjoyed it. I thought they had a it was a great time and a great little um, you know nostalgia fest for Nakanishi, who you know next week will be retiring. So I'm gonna miss the guy. I really one of my uh, a guy I've always really liked. So very very sad we're, we're losing him, even though obviously he can barely move. Yeah, this will probably be the last time the last win of his career too, because he probably will do the job in his retirement match. Yeah. What'd you think, Jared? Oh, I loved it. Like, yeah, three stars, just fun little match. Everything it was. And I, I like to jury eating shit. <laughs> What'd you think, Paul? Yeah. I also thought it was a pr- pretty fun little match. And as you said, Tamura has like a ton of potential and also shows that they like put him in matches like this as well, where it is a bit higher up, the card essentially and they like trust him to go in there with the veterans and like not like embarrass himself and i think he was also when they went to hard hit as well i think he they actually brought him there as well to like stand at ringside so they like definitely like think that he has like potential to like get into a big position so like they're giving him like chances to like learn so i think he has a bright future uh match number three the all asia tag team title jake Lee and Koji Iwamoto defeating Takeo Omori and Black Minso Ray. Uh, Iwamoto pinning Minso Ray in 956. Uh, look, this was, I like, if this could, if this entire match was like the last minute, I would have, it would have been like four stars. Like, they fucking committed a murder in that on um, Black Minso Ray. He just kept kicking out and kicking out. It was such a great, like, closing stretch. Uh, you know, I can't go higher than like three and a half on the match, but like, man, did I enjoy myself for a 10 minute tag. Yeah, uh, I, went, I went three and three quarters. It was a great sprint. Uh, Omori and Mensare are sort of underrated as a team because they're mostly sort of doing the comedy shtick. But whenever they do challenge for the All-Asia tag titles, which they've done a couple times, it's always a really good match. Yeah. I mean, they're, Omori, like, weirdly can still go for, like, such an older guy. Like he, The way he, he moves always, looks like, weird, but he can go yeah. still, yeah. I feel like, yeah, he, like, he busts out these, ma- these performances, like, a few times a year, and he always looks good. Paul, what did you think of this All-Asia Tag Team Championship match? Yeah, I thought this was awesome. Uh, like, it, it, it's not my match of the night because I think I still think that uh, Akira and Susumu was stronger. But, like, this, this, this might be, sound like heresy, but it might be, like, my second favorite match of the night because I just absolutely love that closing stretch. And I think the rest of the match was pretty good as well. But that closing stretch just had me hooked for the entire time. And... I think Iwamoto and like Black Mansuri just kind of tore down the house. And I, I'm just happy to see that. I think uh, Iwamoto is kind of getting his form from uh, 2018 back a little bit. Because yeah. I think in 2019, he took a bit of a step back where he got a bit too comfortable with his formula, with the judo throw and everything. And he didn't like nothing really happened until he hit the judo throw in his matches. Yeah. But I think now he's like right back to like where he was before. And I think he, I think. Having Arbor around really helps Iwamoto, I think, just him being like in the same promotion because I think both of them kind of came up together as well. So I think they complement each other really well. So that's so Arbor being like a regular in all Japan now seems to have lit a fire under Iwamoto as well. And I hope that he like, like con- continues to develop this year as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, he, like you're saying, I think he looks, uh, you know, really good, and hopefully he does get to another higher level this year. Um, 
the where did they announce the the champion participants? Was it like after this match? I think so. Yeah. So we'll just go. We'll just go over them at the end, I guess, because we yeah. got two two more matches. Only got two more matches left anyway. Uh, match two was the Purple Haze team of Zeus Izanagi and Utamaro defeating Tatsuya Hanami, who was a two uh, AW young boy replacing Nao Nomura, who of course got uh, suffered that terrible nerve injury. Uh, Ayato Yoshida and Fuminori Abe. Um, so the Purple Haze team won this match in. Only five nineteen when Zeus pinned Hanami with the jackhammer. Um, you know they run it. They ran out and attacked them immediately, which I thought was cool. It's not something you often see in all Japan. Um, you know, Purple Haze just very heelish throughout. You know, really doing a lot of corner choking and stuff like that. Uh, Yoshida got to make the big comeback, and he looked really good. Um, you know, like he, he was, he looked really good actually. Like I think he was probably the high of this match. And you know, he's the guy that like, you know, people are obviously upset that he. Is you know stuck in two AW after all the promise he showed he showed us New Japan Young Lion, but like I honestly think he could do more. Like if he is in all Japan long term, which it looks like he is, I mean I think he's more valuable here than he would have been in New Japan. But uh, like I don't think he ever would have been like a top guy in New Japan as a you know someone didn't come through their system. Whereas here, I think he could develop into like a top. You know, I mean especially with uh, it looks like two AW is like really close to all Japan. I think someone's on their board, like their owners on the all Japan board or yes. That's what, that's what someone shout out to the uh, VOW discord, AJPW channel uh, was posted in there. Basically if you just run the Wikipedia, all Japan page in the translator, it was set. Like the name came up and everything like the president to AW sits on all Japan's board of directors. Yeah. So those two companies are very close together. So I think Yoshida could eventually become like a, a top level guy in all Japan if he keeps developing. So yeah, that's a lot different than just like being in some other like outsider. <laughs> did you two A two AW also we took did you I don't know if you saw in the voice watching Slack, we were trying to come up with like the lowest drawing Korokin of the year for twenty nineteen. And you know, we thought for a while it was the two AW uh show from the autumn. I think it drew like I'm, gonna, I'm trying to scroll up to. It. I think it drew like 496 or something, and then we found one show that drew worse than the 2AW show. Uh, as we as I was going back to the year, I found a um, it was a pro wrestling wave show, and they're, they're a Joshi company that had a lot of uh, problems and like shut down for a while, and like just really hasn't been what it used to be, and. You know, so they go, okay, maybe 2AW didn't didn't win this uh, competition. But then we found one more show that was even lower than that wave show. It was a, the Kai and Tai Jojo <laughs> show from the spring where they changed their name. So, yes, 2AW does not have the lowest show, but only on a technicality because their former name uh, of Kai and Tai Dojo had the lowest drawing cork. It was like in the 400s. So, yeah. I mean, was, uh, yeah. I mean, 2AW gets outdrawn in their own building by all Japan. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not it's not good. I mean, they're not very tiny company. So, yes, I, I get why people don't want him stuck there because he is he definitely is way too talented to be doing wrestling at Cork and Hall twice a year in front of 400 people. But if he's going to be a regular at all Japan, which, I mean, he's in Jin, and it looks like he, you know, if, they, if they're willing to push him as a top guy eventually as he gets more experience, I think that's a very, you know, that's a big spot. And I hope he, uh, you know, I'm glad to say he's a guy that 
All Japan, I think, very much could use as like a top star. So. And he's getting protected. He hasn't taken a pinfall in All Japan yet. And on the Jin Produce show at Shinkiba on the 6th, it was Violent Giants versus Yoshida and Lee. And Jake Lee was the, the guy to take the fall in that match. So wow. I think that tells you something. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, he went to a draw with Nomura as well early on. Right. Like, Maybe he should be Kento. <laughs> uh, match. Have to. Yeah. What'd you yeah. say? I said they might have to, depending on what happens with Nomura. Right. Um, match number one. I don't, do you guys have anything else to say about this one, I guess, real quick? I don't think we talked about no. the actual match. I gave oh, it maybe, sorry. I do have one thing. Just wanted to say that this match, to me, is a much better example of the kind of like undercard heel stuff that I don't mind at all and like yeah. compared to the outside interference in the tag ma- the world tag title match. Yeah. Uh, match number one, the opener was... Uh, Yusuke Okada, Karasato, and J.R. Kratos uh, defeating uh, Hokoto Omori, uh, Suga- Sugataka Sato, and Rising Hayato in 837. Um, you know, it looks like Hayato took the pin. I don't even know who got, don't remember who got the fall. Was it Kratos? Was it? I think hmm. it was Okada. It was Okada, yeah. There's yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay, with the sudden death, right? Okay. Yeah. Um. So this was good. I mean, this was all right. I, I, actually, no. Actually, I, I rated three, one and three quarters. So no, it wasn't good. <laughs> the problem was that Kratos looked like offensively bad a lot of the match, yeah. and like, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I know he's like a he's like a SoCal indie legend, I think, but he looked fucking awful here. Um. You know, he he's a very large man, and he tried to do like this weird like handstand thing on the corner and just messed it up. And you know, he just was like fucking looked awkward throughout. Just never looked like he was comfortable in there. You know, maybe it's something where he just was really nervous about wrestling in Corican Hall, but he looked really awful. So he dragged his match down a lot, and you know, I thought it was just kind of there otherwise. And really, Kratos was like offensively bad. So I would go one and I went one and three quarters, but uh. You know, it's cool to see. Whenever I see these, like these, uh, Russell one f- trained freelancers, uh, you know, which is Sato in this one. I mean, the it's just funny to me because like they're the only promotion that like promotion school that will train you and let you go wherever you want. And I always think of this one guy. I can never remember his name, but like who trained with Russell one. But his dream, his dr- lifelong dream was to join the zero one roster. And it's like, maybe aim a little higher. Like your lifelong dream in 2018 is to join the zero one roster. Like there's gotta be an easier way to join the Yakuza, buddy. I <laughs> maybe it's <yeah>, I don't know. <laughs> but it's very uh I just I always think of that guy whenever I see these Russell One f- trained freelancers, but I don't think that's Sato. I think it's somebody else. But uh, there you go. But yeah, just pretty cradle sucked. Everybody else looked fine. What do you think of this one, Paul? I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, I think maybe the one thing, the only other time before this match where I have seen Kratos was when I think he had a match with uh, Andy Williams or the, is he the Butcher or the Blade? I think it's the Butcher. Uh, and they had like a really fun match on Bloodsport. And I think in this case, yeah, he did look fairly immobile. I do think he had like some decent instincts. I don't know if he's like really like a viable like long-term member. And there were definitely like some spots where like there was a bit of awkwardness between him and his teammates as well. But yeah, I don't know about uh, it. But 
look, it's not like he's like the worst person that like the worst gaijin that all Japan has brought over recently. So who knows? Maybe he can improve a bit with time as well if he gets more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see. What do you think, Gerard? This one. Uh, yeah, I thought it was fun once Kratos got out of the way at the beginning and all the young guys look great. Uh, to be fair to Kratos, he looked better on today's show, but like, I just don't see the point of investing him in as anything long-term for this company, especially with some of the other, uh, foreigners you've got coming in who are also a lot younger. Kratos is in his late thirties too. So, you know. Uh, so there you go. I thought this was a fun show. I mean, if this was like, if the, if I liked the main event, if the main event was like a you know one of these Miyahara uh, triple crown matches, I went like four and a half or four and three quarters on, then this would have been like an outstanding show. But even with a very disappointing main event, I still I still enjoyed myself. It was a fun Corican. Yeah, and I think the show did everything that it set out to do, which was like get over like some younger wrestlers too. So yeah. that should be seen as a big success. Uh, so let's talk about the champion carnival entries before we wrap this segment up. Um, we did, we get, we got the entrance and of course they're going to start on, uh, Monday, April 6th at Corrigan Hall. Uh, the tournament runs until May 5th, also at Corrigan. I believe that the last three nights are all at Corrigan actually. Um, so the entrants are Kento Miyahara, Davy Boy Smith Jr. Uh, making his All Japan debut, I want to say. Has he ever wrestled in All Japan before? I no, think I don't of, think so. Yeah, so uh, that that got a big reaction from the crowd, as I guess a lot of the ex New Japan guys are always going to get. Uh, Jake Lee, Suwama, Yuma Aoyagi, Shuji Ishikawa, uh, Zeus, Nao Nomura, Yoshitatsu, Kai making his return. He was not in last year's tournament, uh, even though he's been a freelancer there for a while. Uh, Ryuji Sai, Joel Redman returning from last year. The he, I thought he was great last year, so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, Gianni Valletta. Uh, Lucas Steele and the newcomer from the UK, and then we have a lot of new faces. Uh, Shigeru Irie, obviously, he's been a regular. Uh, Hideyoshi Kamatani coming in from Big Japan. I think he's a big upgrade on Daichi Hashimoto from Big Japan <laughs> last year. Uh, Ayato Yoshida, who's you know been a regular, so that's not surprising. And then probably to me, like the biggest surprise is we get Takashi Sugara from Noah. So maybe actually maybe you could call Davey Boy the biggest surprise, but either way, they're both big surprises. And uh, I, but I'm I'm really excited to see Sugara, you know, mix it up there with some of these names. I mean, obviously we have to wait and see what the blocks are, but man, if we get Kento and Sugara, that's going to be fucking you know really something. Uh, so last I did mention Nomura's name. He was announced. I guess really nobody knows if uh, you know he will be the uh, the guy who. Uh, you know, if he will be able to come in. I mean, he's supposed to be the guy that wins, I think, is what most people are thinking. Yeah. And, you know, he has this injury, and no one really knows if he's for sure going to be able to make it. So we'll wait and see if he if he gets replaced. Uh, will Junakiyama have to replace him again? I guess we'll see. I also have the full schedule here. I guess I can go through it really quickly. But, um, but yeah, everything's in the air on alljapan.tv. I don't know. They said, like, I don't think it's all going to be live, right? I think it, some of it will be VOD. Some but, uh, of it probably, but every show, like last year, every show yeah. made it up, either live or VOD. I mean, you can watch every single Champion Carnival match. So they'll all be on there, whether it's live or by, on, on tape. So, uh, you know, I you know, I, I did that last year I def- or, or two years ago. I definitely recommend doing that or at least watching, you know, all the hype matches. So there'll be a lot of really good stuff. Um, I guess before I do the schedule, any thoughts on the lineup, Gerard? Uh, looks pretty damn good to me um i don't really see any 
problems. I mean, the Valletta is the Valletta thing, right? I mean, yeah. someone's got to. It has its charm, even if he's not like he's not good. But right. at least I would rather have a a charming bad wrestler than just a bad wrestler, you know? Yeah. So. Well, it's the same thing. It's a night off, like because they're just going to yeah. ball around, play with the chain, and then like go to the finish in seven eight minutes. So yeah, it's like Yano. He's like the Yano yeah. of the champion carnival. Yeah, and he's joined Purple Haze now as well, so I think it's like a perfect fit for that too. Yeah, so I don't, I don't got no problem with Gianni Villetta. I ain't gonna hate on him. He should uh, pin Kento again. <laughs> he absolutely should pin Kento again, and then he should get his title shot, and then yeah. he should take the title with him. Hashtag justice for Johnny. <laughs> um, um, I'll just also say uh, it's funny because I know not everyone loves Davy Boy Smith Jr. I actually do like him uh funnily enough i've been catching up on mlw and he's actually been pretty good in it in the last couple of months because he's also getting a push and is pretty high up on the card so i'm not saying he's going to be a slam dunk but i would say more likely than not the chances of him being pretty good in all japan you know it's more likely than not he'll be good in all japan i should say i really want you know what man I really want to see if they. I just I just checked this while you were talking to see if it's happened before, and it has not. Other than they were in a six man tag on the All Together show in 2011 at the Budokan, but I hope they're in the same block. I want to see Takashi Sugara and Suwama. I don't know why in my head that just sounds like something that would be. I mean, I guess they've both been around forever, and they're both kind of like grumpy old guys now. I would like to see that match. So yeah, I think I maybe like I think maybe like it could like for that block it could come down to like those two as well. Yeah. Well, we don't have the blocks yet, do we? No, 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 I know. But, okay. like, if the same block, right. like, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if that's, like, one of the final matches. Yeah. And I I think uh, even if Nomura is uh, healthy, I think there is a good chance that Sugera might end up just winning this anyway. Yeah. I mean, that would be a hell of an outsider title defense, so... Yeah, like I'm, the Marifuji one. Well, yeah, I'm very certain he will at least make the final as well. And whoever he's like up against in the final, it's going to be tremendous. And there's also like the issue is like, could you sort of string things along longer? Like have Sugera beat Kento and then have Nomura beat Sugera? Hmm. You know, I, I mean, know. that would, that would almost be my play if Nomura gets, if Nomura can't make the tournament. And to just have Segura beat Kento and then just have Nomura take the title whenever he recovers from his injury. Yeah. All right. So let me go through the schedule here before we wrap it up. Uh, it starts April 6th, a Monday at Corican Hall. Uh, then we get April 11th in Okayama. So it really goes right out in the countryside. Well, uh, April 12th in Fukuoka, uh, the 13th in Kumamoto, and the 14th in Kagoshima. So you get four straight nights there. Uh, then the 16th in Hiroshima, the 17th in the Taisho Osaka, which is subtitled the Spring Zeus Festival. I thought it was funny. Uh, the 18th in the more traditional Ideon Arena Osaka, the second hall, of course. The 19th in Aichi in Nagoya, the International Conference Hall. I think that's the same place where I saw Big Japan Death Vegas, which is it's a fun little venue. Uh, the 21st in Fukushima, the 22nd in Miyagi. Uh, or Death Mania, not Death Vegas, whatever, it doesn't matter. 22nd, Miyagi, 23rd again in uh, Sendai City. Uh, and then they come with those two nights in Okada that were awesome last year in uh, the 25th and 26th in Sapporo, uh, the 29th in Chiba, and then we get the three straight nights at Korkin, the 30th 
uh, the, then there's a little break, and then May 4th, and then finally the finals on May 5th. So that is your All Japan schedule for the Champion Carnival. Definitely uh, something I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot. A great lineup here. Um, you know, so we'll definitely uh, follow that along here probably in April on this podcast. But there you go. Okay, let me get into some All Japan questions before we wrap up this segment. Uh, we did get a few, so... And I already did the stardom questions. You can hear those on the stardom segment that's coming up. Uh, from Thoros, he says, if Nomura can't come back in time and June refuses again, who should they throw in the champion carnival? Who do you think, Gerard? Um, Iwamoto, maybe? Mm. Just because like, I go. think all of the heavyweights are taken and used up in the company. And he would be the junior, I guess, who could sort of fit in because he's not like super small. Um, what do you think, Paul? Any, any, do you agree with that one or somebody else? I mean, if it, if it has to be an all Japan roster member, that probably would be my play as well. If Akiyama really doesn't want to step in, if it comes to like bringing in an outsider, I wouldn't mind like seeing someone like, you know, make a return to all Japan as well, because I think every promotion in Japan needs more Yuji Hino, really. <laughs> uh, oh, I Niagara forgot. Dr- uh, also, I would say Udamaro. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because he's just hanging around, doing a lot of dates for them, and he's in purple haze. As long as he, they don't have outside interference, for the love of God. <laughs> uh, Niagara Driver on Twitter says, uh, "We we kind of covered this, but what he said, what do you see in the future for Yoshida and Two AW in general in all Japan?" And we said they they do have like a big connection there. I honestly think they might be able to push Yoshida all the way to the top. So. Yeah, I agree. I think that would be yeah. I think that would be really smart to push Yoshida to the top. It's just it's something that I actually noticed on the show as well. And I mean, it's kind of something that we know he has a lot of potential. But like looking at him like on the show, I just realized that like that guy is like a proper star. And like even if he's not like an all Japan guy, and even if he's not signed, given that two AW is never going to be a threat to them, like I think they should definitely push him. Uh, okay, so over in the Voice of Wrestling Discord, there, uh, Drew Man had a million questions here. First of all, thoughts on Lucas Steele? I like him a lot. Uh, on today's show, he looked the best he has uh, in all Japan. I know he's only been on, I guess that's his fourth or fifth show for them. So I think he's g- growing into the role and he's going to be you know, in the ring with like people like uh, Suwama and Ishikawa and that to learn from so I think uh, they found uh, like a young guy on some small English indie that no one had seen and they snapped him up and I think it'll work out well for them and I should say a lot of his questions we did cover already so I'm only getting to the ones we didn't uh, do you have any thoughts on Lucas Steele to add Paul uh, I'm just happy that Lucas Steele like is with all Japan now and isn't gonna be like another failed project of NXT UK. So I'm happy he's in Japan now. Uh, then he said thoughts on oh, okay your dark horses for the Champion Carnival. Um, so I guess he means like who could win that? I don't know if there's a great dark horse. Maybe if they really want to go and say maybe Yoshida, I I would totally do it. If it was me, I would just have Yoshida win the damn thing and then win the title from Kento. Like, really, like, just go crazy with that push and try to, like, establish him as, like, equal to Kento already. But I don't know. I don't think they will do it, but I think, you know, it's my, I'll, I'll answer that as my dark horse. 
Jake Lee could be a dark horse because he made the finals last year. So there's that sort of story. But I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I guess dark horse, as weird as that sound, would be Ken to himself, I guess. Okay. Since they could just go, well, let's just give it to... Like, in case Nomura gets injured and they don't come up with a good idea, they could just go, well, let's just give it to Kento and then just take it from there. Uh, and then he said, your favorite matches, memories of Joe Doring. And he said, show me your power versus Zeus doesn't count. Buddy, you're not going to tell me what to do. That's my favorite <laughs> memory uh, of Joe Doring. Oh. That was so awesome. Well, I will say this. Uh, January 2015 versus Go Shiozaki. That was an awesome that's, match. Yeah, that's one of the incredible match. Yeah, love that match. Him just hitting an absolutely murderous like revolution bomb when he turned on Savama was pretty great too. And the, and the, like just returning from cancer in general was just a great yeah, moment. That's, you know? that's, that's obviously the best part, yeah. Uh, and then Jamie O.D. from Jamaic uh, DDT, he said, the thing I want to know with Doring is do many foreigners get a good, big goodbye when they're done with Japan? Pac and DG and Kenny and DDT are all I can think of from this gen. Uh, there were some other Dragon Gate ones people brought up, but yeah, in general, I don't think it really uh, happens very often, so... I guess it's we not. should. I, I we never really addressed this, but I guess we should say all the rumors are saying that Doring is done with all Japan. Yeah, uh, which yeah. makes sense because he's taking indie bookings in the U.S., which he doesn't often do. So, uh, small doink over in the Super Jcast Discord says, basically his question was, does Kento have the worst defining title run as an ace? Uh, I'm going to say no. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I I get the Doink does not like him like at all, and I don't. I think he had a lot of. I think Kendo had a lot of really good defenses until yeah. this one. I will say it got it has gotten long in the tooth, but like a lot yeah. of that is not their fault because like they just don't have anybody else on this roster. So like I don't know. Yeah. Not, I, mean, I don't know. I, I feel not. like remember when I tr- I don't know. Paul, I think we talked about this, but like people were like, "Oh, Sekimoto's going to pin Miyahara in the." Uh, real world tag league and we're going to get Sakamoto versus me oh, yeah. in January and everything like that. I do think they probably could have tried to get a couple more outsiders to face him. Um, but that's my only like quibble. Otherwise it's been yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like I get uh, the whole stop the Kento meme and all of that, but like, let's just keep it as what it is, which is like a like, decent joke to make at times because as you said, it has gotten long in the tube, but like, Let's not forget, like all of the like, just tremendous list of matches that, like he's had in that title reign as well. Like, if you just like the show we did with Thomas as well, where we did like the, where we did the like uh, the indie Japan in uh, in the, the Japan indie indie year in review episode, where we spent like I think pretty much an hour just talking about Kento matches. Like, it's been an amazing title reign, but it should mm-hmm. end soon. Yes. All right, so with that, let's go ahead and wrap up this segment. Um, of course, as I mentioned, you can keep on listening because I have a, uh, a stardom solo review, the second time I've done a solo review on this podcast that already recorded, so definitely keep listening after Paul and George say their goodbyes here. I also realized after I recorded it, so at the end of that solo segment, I list like a lot of other voice wrestling podcasts and stuff. And I think I got every single one, except I think I forgot open the force gate, which is funny because I started that show. So the only one I forgot was the show that I fucking started. So uh, 
tune in for that. That that's coming up at the end of <laughs> at the end of the show, I guess. But uh, Gerard, give me some plugs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just keep your eyes out. There'll be wall to wall champion carnival coverage at Voices of Wrestling. Uh, I will have a preview um, that I'm sure maybe Paul will want to contribute to. And last year, uh, Paul Thomas and I between the three of us we reviewed every champion carnival show or at least the tournament matches so uh aiming to do that again this year yes absolutely i'm sure you, I'm sure you guys can come back on to talk champion carnival if you want so. yeah i think yeah. there'll be probably a lot of news coming out of it and stuff mm-hmm. too. and i'm sure there will be a couple of matches as well that might be worth talking about too yeah so paul give me your plugs i know you love to plug your twitter Oh, yeah, obviously. Uh, don't follow me on Twitter. Sub- <laughs> subscribe to All Japan TV instead and DDT Universe as well to watch some DDT and Noah. And, yeah, otherwise, right. uh, yeah, as Gerard said, w- uh, watch out for our wall-to-wall coverage of everything Champion Carnival coming up. Voiceofwrestling.com. All right, folks. So uh, there'll be a little musical interlude here probably, and then I'll be back in a second with my solo review of the Stardom Corkin and my previews of the upcoming New Japan and DDT Corkin. So stay in, stay on the line for that. Or I don't know why it's on the line. Keep listening. See you in a sec. to the queens. Okay, folks, through the magic of audio, after that little break, we're back here on Wrestling Omikase. Uh, you just finished listening to an interview with Paul and Gerard on All Japan Pro Wrestling that I honestly have not recorded yet, so to give you a peek behind the curtain, uh, I'm recording this little solo segment on uh, Saturday night. Whereas, you know, the, the the segment on All Japan with Paul and Gerard, I am recording on Sunday. So, through the magic of audio, you've already heard that segment, but I have not yet recorded it. So, hopefully, it went great. I don't see why it wouldn't. They're both great guests. But, uh, I guess you probably heard me rant a little bit about uh, why I wasn't a huge fan of the Kento Miyahara match and all that. So, I guess I uh, don't need to go into that again. But yeah, that's basically what I'm going to talk about. What you're going to hear is uh, I mean, being not a big fan of uh, Kento's latest title match. A crazy person, I think, is what uh, people said. <laughs> some people said. But what I am a big fan of is this stardom show. The February 8th Corican Hall show, The Road to Major League. Uh, this show was outstanding. Uh, I didn't see the, the, the dark match of the open. I watched four matches. But the four matches I saw were all, you know, ranged from good to freaking outstanding. Um, you know, I really enjoyed this show. And I'm really, you know, you know, Stardom, I thought, had a great year last year. But this year, so far, I mean, has just been really great. Um, I don't know if they've overtaken DDT for me, but it's really close. I mean, they're just having an outstanding start of the year. Um, you know, two straight Corkins that were, that were really, really good. 
And, you know, I really like how everything is unfolding right now. And you have a lot of different storylines going on. Uh, you have a lot of different, you know, elements like this unexpected marvelous invasion that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, of course, the main event was supposed to be Mayu Iwatani against Sari, which I'm sure would have been awesome. But the main event we got with Mayu and, uh, and you know, Takumi Aroha ended up being fucking awesome. So, I mean, who can complain? And, you know, there's just a lot going on in these shows. And, you know, all of it's really interesting and really fun. And they just have so... Like, that roster now is so stacked. I mean, there are a lot of wrestlers on this stardom roster now who, like, are not really getting pushed that hard. Like, we're going to talk about one in uh, the Artist of Stardom Battle match that would be, like, the best wrestler on a lot of rosters. Like, okay, I, I mean, I, no spoiler here. Azumi. You know, Azumi, 17 years old. If you drop that woman... Uh, into AEW, she would be the best women's wrestler on that roster by, like, a fucking mile. She would be better than, like, 90% of the men. So, and, you know, and she's not even a main event-pushed act in stardom. So, that's a, you know, that's just, like, the, the rich, the, the, like, riches they have right now as far as, like, just a completely stacked roster, uh, you know, full of women that, like, you know, and or, or even I guess at her point, not even not even an eighteen year old woman, but like a seventeen year old girl who's better than most of the wrestlers on this earth. And you know, if they, you know, as long as she doesn't like retire to graduation, which would be really awful because she's so good. I mean, they have like a, a legit star in their hands in her for like the next like decade or however long she sticks around. But um, yeah, let's go match by match here because all four matches I saw here were pretty good. Uh, it started, or at least pretty good. I mean, three of them were really, really good. It started out with the Artist of Stardom uh, number one contendership match. Hana Kimura, Jungle Kiona, and Konami from Tokyo Cyber Squad taking on, not, taking on Natsuko Tora, Saki Kashima, and Natsu Sumali from um, the, of course, from Oedo Tai. First of all, I love the new, I don't know how new it is actually because I don't watch every single house show, but the, I guess, relatively new heel remix of the Oedo Tai song it sounds, like, much more evil now. And it got me thinking, like, that Oedo Tai, you know, must be much must be much more heelish now. And in some ways they are, but, man, they were, like, uh, you know, they didn't really play heel in this match, especially early on, where, like, you know, they, they basically, Konami and Jungle, like, really took turns beating the absolute crap out of Saki. And I, I was, like, wondering going in, I haven't seen a lot of heel Saki yet, I was like, well, what is she like as a heel? And I, I don't know if this match really gave me a good answer because it was a lot of, like, her doing what she, you know, had normally done as a babyface in Stars, which is, you know, just getting beat up and selling her ass off, which she's very good at. So I'm not, you know, she was good at it here, but it's very weird when she's, like, you know, dressed in all black and she's giving these very heelish promos, but, like, she's still very much playing babyface in peril here. So that was interesting. Um you know, then they they kept T, uh, TCS kept playing heel on the match a lot because they also cut Natsu off from doing the Bronco Buster at one point, and they got lustily booed by the Korokin crowd for not letting them do or not letting Natsu rub her crotch in uh, somebody's face. But Natsu did get to do it afterwards, so don't worry. The, the perverts rejoiced because, uh, of course, Natsu sells those T-shirts that say "pervert scum" on them. Uh, she really loves her crotch-based attacks in general because she also, in addition to using her own crotch, she like punishes the crotches of all the other women. And this is uh, going places I'm not sure I wanted it to go. But, you know, a lot of uh, like Manhattan drops, those reversed... I think that's what those reversed atomic drops are called, right? I don't have anyone to ask because this is a solo podcast. But a lot of those 
Uh, and then she also did like the the leg drop to the crotch at one point, and yeah, really uh really crotch based offense. And then Jungle and Natsugatora they have their big sick gal showdown, and you know they both were like running into each other. They both managed to knock each other down at the shoulder box, and then uh, Tor finally put her down with a spear. Um, all three members of Widotai isolated Konami, and Tora like you know nearly pinned her with a splash off the top before teammates saved. Um, and then Tokyo Cyber Squad kind of came back and isolated Saki, but when Konami tried to get her in the Triangle Lancer, it led to this really cool like uh, pinfall reversal sequence where they you know first Saki reversed it into a cradle. Uh, Konami reverses that back into another cradle, and then Saki reverses that into another cradle for the pinfall. So that was a great finish. I added a quarter star just for that. Uh, it was fun. It wasn't like the greatest match of all time or anything, but I went three and a quarter. I had a good time with it. Uh, it was a, just a little weird. I expected a little more, I guess, heel work from Widotai, but they were, you know, what they did was still fun. So that was match number one, and by far the weakest of the four. So if the weakest of the four matches. It's a fun three and a quarter star match. You know you've got a pretty good show here. Uh, the next match was for the artist of stardom titles, Momo Watanabe, Utami Hayashishida, and Azumi, the uh, Queen's Quest team, taking on Julia, Sayori, and Micah. Um, so this match, this is this was really good. And, you know, I... Oh, first I had to mention the pre-match promo. So, Mo, Mo Watanabe calls them uh, Dona del Voldemort. And Azumi adds that they're the unit who must not be named, which is pretty funny. I'm not even really into Harry Potter, but I thought that was funny. And then they basically say that they're angry because they're old ladies. So, Queen's Quest continues their uh, their history of being, like, the most vicious uh, on the mic, especially. They... Momo loves to bury people, and I guess it's, rub- it's rubbed off on Azumi, too. But yeah, it was really funny. Uh, so everyone paired off early, and we got, like, a bunch of brawling. And, you know, Siri and... Um, I think I'm mispronouncing that. I'm very sorry. But Siri and Momo eventually end up in the ring together. They start trading these really stiff-looking kicks. And then Momo starts destroying her with a series of even stiffer drop kicks. So that was really cool. Um, then we end up with the Micah and... Uh, Micah. Yeah, and the Utami thing. Well, they're, like, tossing each other around these judo throws. And, you know, Micah, of course, uh, you know, is a judoka, just like Utami. And she, you know, she they've had these meetings before and just, just, and I just tap out and stuff. And it's just really fun, though, even watching her toss Utami around. Because that's, of course, what Utami does all the time in stardom, is toss all these other girls around with these judo moves. So... You know, watching Micah do that was really cool. Um, Utami eventually fires back. She gets her up in the Argentine backbreaker. But uh, Micah reverses it into, like, a cross arm breaker. Like, slowly brings her down into it. That was really cool. Um, and then transitions into a triangle. But Utami, like, power bombs her way out of it. So that was, like, another highlight sequence of the match. Um, and then after that, it became the Azumi show. And, man, Azumi is so fucking good. Again, at 17 years old, she is already better than, like, I don't know, 80% of the wrestlers on this earth? 90%? Like, like she is so good at this. She's bumping her ass off for these girls. Just, you know, bumping like a complete maniac for all this offense. Basically in there like a pinball. 
And she does this, like, crazy Rana into a Fujiwara armbar. She gets this, like, insane armbar takedown into a cradle thing on Julia for a great near fall. Like, she makes them all look really, really good. She makes their offense look like a million bucks. And then she just, like, takes over and gets in her offense and looks great. And the crowd's going nuts for her. Azumi is so good. Like, I cannot stress that. If you take one thing away from this solo segment where I'm pretty sure I'm mispronouncing half the names... Azumi is really, really good, and everyone should watch her wrestle because she's already so good, and she's not even of, I don't know, is is 18 legal voting age in Japan? I don't even know what legal voting. She can't drink for another three years, I know that, uh, because their drinking age is 20. But yeah, I mean, she is so good already, and she, you know, if she keeps improving at the rate she's improved in the last, like, couple years, I mean, she's going to be the best wrestler Maybe the best wrestler in the world by the time she turns 20. For sure she can be the best woman's wrestler. And, you know, she'll be in, like, the top 10 if she keeps improving at this rate. So, like, she's so good. Uh, Julia finally put her away, though, at the Glorious Buster to win the artist of stardom titles for their team. Uh, I thought, I like this a lot. I gave this three and three quarters. Really good match. Uh, and then Julia cut a good heel promo at the end. Basically says uh, she thanks the QQ Kitties. For a good match. And then she's like, oh, who are the number one contenders? Is it to- uh, Tokyo Cyber Squad? Oh, no, they lost. So she's really good as, like, this uh, very smarmy, very, like, uh, you know, insincere heel. She's really found her calling uh, as a promo. I didn't, I didn't want, I don't watch a lot of Ice Ribbons. So I don't know if this was anywhere close to her character. I feel like it wasn't. I feel like I, the few times I did watch Ice Ribbon and saw her, she wasn't doing anything like this. But it really works for her. So there you go. Um... But yeah, she make, she basically like says she can't, wanted to fight Hana Kimura again, but uh, it's not going to happen since the number of contenders are way to tie. Match number five, the semi-main event, the wonder of stardom title, Arisa Hoshiki versus B Priestley. Uh, B's new catchphrase appears to be, you can bow down to the only queen since she turned on Queen's Quest last time. Uh, Arisa just points out in her pre-match promo this would be her 10th defense if she wins, so... Uh, you know, we'll see if she, uh, obviously she puts it away. Uh, I wanted to note that, uh, that she, Rossi apparently was like, and I swear to God, I didn't even see his tweet before I, I said this, but he let me know in the voice of things like he had tweeted it like a week earlier. But, uh, so I got to give the full credit to Aaron Bentley from uh, Everything Elite for making the exact same joke on Twitter. It'll look like I'm ripping off his joke, but whatever. He basically, Rossi was like, uh, he, he just takes that Bucciro money and immediately decides to buy like a fucking blazer with the New York Yankees logo on it. Like, that's what he's always wanted, I guess. Maybe it was just very, it was a little too expensive, a little bit out of his budget, but he's like, oh, I got those Bucciro checks now. Time to get that Yankees logo blazer. So yeah, that was really funny. But um, B, she, so the, like the first couple minutes of this match were really not that good, and it's the only thing keeping this match from being even higher than I eventually rated it because you know B like puts the big beat down on Arisa early and like starts doing the come on hit me thing, and it really wasn't that entertaining or interesting. It was just very slow and you know not I wasn't that into it. But like the moment I don't think it was even that long. I think probably maybe three minutes or something of the match. Because the moment Arisa, like, starts making, like, a bit of a comeback with the kicking and, like, B starts begging off. Uh, and she's, she's by the way, playing it much more heelish now that she uh, has joined Oedo Tai. So she's at least aware that Oedo Tai are heels. But, yeah, she's, like, way more, like, I don't remember her doing a lot of begging off when she was in Queen's Quest. 
But yeah, so she's like begging off, and then but then like comes back and starts like tossing around with all these suplexes, and Arisa gets like really stiff with kicks and responses. This is like now this is like really outstanding. Uh, at one point, Arisa goes for a springboard, you know, one of these springboard kicks she does, and B just jumps on the middle rope and Germans her off the middle rope in midair. That like had such a, a low margin of error on the. Uh, you know, like, they had to make that perfect, basically. And they, like, nailed it. Like, that looks really, really good. Um, you know, and they're, then they're, like, trading these knee strikes and just screaming at each other, which is a classic Joshi. And, you know, Arisa finally gets the shining impact, the running knee for the win. Um, like I said, it got... It had a slow, like, for a few minutes. But everything after that was really good. Uh, I went four and a quarter... You know, I'm not usually a big B Priestley person. I really don't think she's very good. But, you know, Arisa is like, she, she's on one of those runs where she she can have a, you know, four-star match with virtually anybody. So, you know, she's really this wonder stardom title run. I mean, she, one of the things that has made stardom so good in the last, like, year or so is just, like, getting her out of nowhere, basically, because she, she had retired you know, years earlier, and just to come back and perform at this level as Wonder Stardom champion is really something. So, you know, obviously that's been a big thing for Stardom. But yeah, she puts B away here. We don't get any note here about a new next challenger, so maybe they're going to give the belt a little bit of a break after, you know, which is already at 10 defenses after, you know, hasn't been champion even for a year. Uh, the main event, so this is a non-title match, Mayu Iwatani against Takumi Aroha. Um, this was originally supposed to be, of course, uh, Mayu defending the the Red Belt, the World of Stardom title, against Sari. And that match may never happen because Sari is supposedly going to report to WWE by the end of the month, I believe. I don't know if that's 100% confirmed. I'm pretty sure it is, but who knows. Um, so we get Takumi Aroha instead in what became a non-title match. And, you know, Takumi, if you're not aware of who that is, she's from the Marvelous promotion. Um, they had, like, teased... Basically, after Bushiroad bought Stardom, uh, Chigusa Nagayo, of course, a very famous uh, women's wrestler who runs the Marvelous promotion, basically said she wasn't going to let, you know, Bushiroad push her around or dominate star or dominate women's wrestling i don't remember exactly what she said but it was something like you know uh that she was declaring i think she definitely said she was declaring war on bushy road and i'm pretty sure at the time people took this as a shoot um you know the you know the i think people definitely didn't think this was like a work if i remember correctly i definitely don't remember anyone saying like oh this is definitely a work but it looks like in hindsight it either was a work all along or quickly became a work because you know here's takumi aroha and you know it looks like marvelous and stardom are going to work together more in the future too i mean uh you know they like mayu Iwatani after the match basically said you know we are gonna i, I want to involve the marvelous juniors you know, which are like they, I believe is what they call the younger wrestlers. I don't really watch Marvelous, so I'm going on the top of my head on that one. But, you know, the, I believe that I mean, that's their younger wrestlers, not their like lighter wrestlers. But like, you know, the Marvelous Juniors and Stars, you know, all those, t- all those people basically in, in like getting them in the ring and, uh, you know, can t- keep it going and start them. So I assume this is going to continue as well. Uh, I really doubt they put Takumi over here clean, as clean as they did if they weren't going to continue working together. So it's kind of crazy that, like, Stardom getting bought by Bushiro just made them, you know, way more open to outsiders. 
Maybe that's just be like a product of Bushiroad having the money to throw around. Uh, maybe Kadani just wanted to do that, or whoever is like overseeing overseeing starter. Maybe they're just more into having you know outside women's wrestlers. But yeah, it's definitely you know between the you know all the people they brought in already and now the partnership with Marvelous, they're definitely a lot more open to outsiders than Stardom was pre Bushiroad. Uh, but yeah, so this match, like on top of after that last one, you know, I was like, okay, can they? I hope they can top it, top that last match. But you know, if the, if, if the match is even like four flat, they would have you know come in below. But they just fucking killed it here. Um, you know, this was everything I would have want, I would have wanted and more. Uh, the the story they basically told was Takumi Roha is a badass, which you know she clearly is. I mean, just look at that woman, and she just fucking threw Iwatani all over the ring, just dominated this match. You know, it was like watching Sting Vader or something, where, like, one one of the two wrestlers, you know, the the big monster is, um, you know, just... Su- the, her, it, it's basically a completely one-sided squash, almost. Other than, like, Mayu having her little hope spots. But, I mean, like, Iroha was basically in control of this match from the moment the bell rang to start until the moment the bell rang to end, with, like, very few... Uh, you know, little mini comebacks by Iwatani. But her offense was so good, and Iwatani's, like, little plucky baby face come, mini comebacks were so good that they never lost the crowd. The crowd was into this from start to finish, but this was, like, as one-sided of a major match as you ever see. And, like, the fact that they were they had the balls to book this, to let Iwatani get destroyed like this, and, and granted that is part of her appeal anyway, I think, that she's, you know, the, the plucky underdog, but, like, you know, she's still the fucking World of Star champion. I mean, she's the Red Belt champion. And she's basically, at this point, the ace of the promotion. So, like, you know, it still took balls to let her get destroyed like this. And they must have some kind of deal to keep bringing Iroha back. But, man, it really got Iroha over, I think, in one night with the stardom crowd. Because, you know, we'll talk about the post-match. They were really into Iroha in the post-match. So, you know, it starts out with, uh, like, you know, they, like they have a little tentative handshake. They go to the floor, and Iroha, like, she takes Mayu over her shoulder and just fucking charges right into the post. It looks super nasty. Um, if you want to nitpick, you could say maybe even Iwatani got up back in the ring a little too fast from that. It looks so nasty. But, like, she was selling that so- shoulder basically for the rest of the match. I mean, Iwatani's selling in this match. You know, I just said the same thing about Azumi before, her bumping and her selling, and Iwatani was even was probably even better here. I mean, for sure, she did a, she had to do it a lot longer. And her, like, the bump, some of the bumps she took were incredible. Her selling was incredible. I mean, this this match was outstanding. And, you know, and, and Aroha was obviously great as the big monster, but Iwatani's selling was, like, really probably what carried it. So, you know, Takumi, she destroys Mayu with kicks and with a basement drop kick. She just keeps dominating. She, like, ragdolls Iwatani up at one point, like, basically, like has her in the German suplex position, but is, like, carrying her around, and then just fucking drops her, and Iwatani takes, like, this ridiculously sick German suplex bump, even for her, like, right on the back of her neck. It looked ridiculous. Uh, and then she, like, splatters her with a power bomb when Iwatani had tried to, like, run her way out of it at first. Uh, so Mayu makes a bit of a comeback, uh, but she's still doing a tremendous job selling the beating. She's too slow going to the top because she's doing like, such a great job selling this beating, and she gets superplexed off the top. Uh, there's this really amazing sequence where Iratani ducks like three straight kicks from Iroha, and like 
then just Germans her down in like all one motion. So that was like one of the really great little mini comebacks. That was great. But then Iroha just takes back control. You know, that was like basically Yurtani's last gasp. Um, I mean, she would try a couple little mini comebacks, but not even as successful. And so Iroha takes back control, just murders her with these repeated power bombs. Uh, you know, Mayu tries to, to come back again, but Iroha finally puts her down for good with the running three. And that's it. Absolutely fucking awesome. I went four and a half stars on this. Uh, you know, just one of the best, um, like, completely one-sided matches you'll ever see. Um, I don't know about ever see, but one of the best you'll see, I, I've seen in a long time. I flirted with going going higher. The only thing I would take it down for, I guess, is, uh, you know, it's a little, maybe a little too one-sided or maybe, like, to really go. That's where, the, you know, when people talk about the star rating system failing, you know, this is like... It, if you were, they, they they couldn't have done a better job of what they were they set out to do. I just don't know if I felt five or four and three quarters, but uh, you know they probably have an even better match in them, where Iwatani gets a little more offense. But this was like again, about as good as one of these types of matches could be, and I really loved it. Um, you know, it's definitely one I think you have to go out of your way to say. Really, like all four of the matches I talked about here, you know, maybe you can get rid of the the number contender match. I still think that was enjoyable enough. You know, for you know, how, probably how short it was, but the other three matches—the uh, artist of stardom title match, the wonder, and then this non-title main event—they were all really great. So, really awesome stuff that you should go out of your way to see if you haven't seen it yet. Um, afterwards, Mayu thanks Iroha for the match. She basically says she lost and she's not satisfied with that, so she tells Iroha to please challenge her for the red belt, which interestingly never happened. So, I don't know if they're gonna hold off on that. Maybe it's the older War Gym main event because they're. I know that's coming up in a few months, I believe. Um, after that, Oedo Tai, before we get really anything else happening, Oedo Tai hit the ring. They attack Mayu. And then, of course, uh, Saki Kashima, who used to be uh, Iwatani's partner before, you know, she turned on her and joined up with uh, Oedo Tai, you know, says she wants a singles match with her. Iwatani basically says she's not interested in her, which I thought was really funny. Like, totally blows her off. It's like, yeah, you're not really on my level. Just get the, get the fuck out of here. And... You know, they're not happy with that, and they keep, you know, they keep attacking her. And then Takumi Aroha comes to her aid and, like, shoves them all off. And that gets the crowd going crazy. And the crowd is now chanting her name, which I thought, you know, again, they got... I don't know if the crowd even knew her before this match. They, I'm sure some of them did, but I'm sure some of them didn't. If you're just a Stardom fan, you you know, she's she hasn't been here in six years. So, you know, you probably don't know who she is. They were like, they got this woman over one night. So they did a great job. Uh, afterwards, Aroha talks about how, you know, like I said, she was a roster member six years ago, um, you know, and they, they tell her, let's do the, the stardom, you know, the stardom catchphrase, so she even does the Believe Now, Shine Tomorrow, We Are Stardom thing to close the show, so yeah, I thought that was really cool, they did a great job, and, uh, I'm, you know, really, really excited to, you know, uh, see where this goes with this marvelous stardom thing, and man, I, I cannot wait for Iroha and Iwatani to have another match for the Red Belt, because this was outstanding, and I think they have an even better match in them. Okay, so let me quickly get... I, I asked people for All Japan and Stardom questions, and some people sent both, so I did the I should have done the All Japan questions during the uh, All Japan segment already, but let's do these Stardom questions here. Um, so Thoros asks, I don't know much about Marvelous. What would be a cool interpromotional matchup beyond Iroha, as more has been hinted? Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I actually have not watched a ton of Marvelous. Uh, really, almost, very, pretty much very little. But 
I do have friends who watch a lot more, uh, you know, smaller Joshi companies than I watch. And one of them is uh, Luke at Oysters Earrings, who, of course, was on the Joshi Year Interview last year. So I basically asked him to do this answer for me. So shout out to Luke. He does his own podcast on Joshi. He watches a lot more uh, Joshi than I watch. So definitely a guy that you should want. definitely uh, go follow on Twitter. Uh, again, it's at Oysters Earrings if you want to learn more about, um, you know, all the different Joshi companies other than Stardom. Not that I don't ever watch them, but I don't watch them very super often. It's only so many hours in a day after all. Uh, he also does his own podcast, at, which is at Apricot Pod. So here's what he told me. He said uh, Azumi versus Mew would be a legit dream match. I believe that's their, one of their super rookies that people always love. Uh, you, you definitely can see her a lot on... Uh, Twitter, if you follow certain accounts. Um, but honestly, any of the Marvelous rookies would put on a great show if given the opportunity. Uh, Maria, Mikoto Shindo, and Mei, Hoshi- Mei Hoshizuki versus Natsugotora, Saki Kashima, and Sumeri Natsu would rule. So there you go. I'm basically giving, it, giving you a direct... That is directly what he DM'd me. So, thank you very much, Luke, for answering that question for me, because that's a far better answer than I would have been able to give, more than likely. Again, check out his podcast, Apricot Pod. Uh, let's see. The other starting question I got on Twitter was from Niagara Driver. Seems like they're building to a Mayu Takumi main event out award in April. Well, there you go. It is coming up in a few months, as I thought. Any other matches you'd like to see on that show? Uh, I really would like to see them go back to Arisa and Momo for the white belt. Uh, you know, I know they don't normally do, I think, repeat challengers. Uh, and, of course, you know, Momo is who Arisa won the white belt from in the first place. But I think they have... I mean, I thought the match where Arisa won the belt was really good. But she's gotten, like, even better since then, if anything. So I think if they had another white belt match at Oda War Gym, uh, I, you know, they could even have, like, an even better match and maybe one of the best of Arisa's, you know, really, really good reign. Um, but maybe they're, they're... They might... They might they probably might... I, I'm thinking they're probably going to build instead to... Uh, you know, since, I mean, what do I, th- I guess you're asking what, what do I want to happen versus what I think will happen. What I think will happen is uh, they're building to B and, um, <laughs> why am I blanking our name? B and Jamie Hayter defending the tag titles, the guys starting tag titles against the team of Momo and Utami. Since, of course, uh, you know, B turned on Momo to join up with Red Otai. So I think that's what they're going to do. And not that I don't want to see that match or anything. I mean, that's that sounds pretty good, honestly, but... I would rather see Arisa and Momo. And then maybe you could do, I don't know, try to try to send Jungle and uh, Kiona for revenge. Or Jungle, Kiona. Jungle and Konami for revenge against, uh, you know, the top Gaijin, as it were. Well, I, think that they don't, I don't think that's a team name they're using, right? Because I know... Uh, like, why is Jamie Hayter okay with B. Priestley calling herself the top Gaijin? Like, shouldn't you also want to be the top Gaijin, ma'am? I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask her. But uh, there you go. I guess uh, that's about my biggest answer. I mean, anything. I mean, if they could get Sari back and do, uh, you know, Sari versus anybody, that'd be awesome too. But what are you gonna do? Uh, let's see. From the Discord, uh, first of all, on the Super Jcast channel, Michael CC is military leader Natsukatora, the biggest glow up in wrestling history. Also, thoughts on thoughts on Stardom continuing to advertise a full heel f- faction and removing their tweener appeal. Well, again. Are they a full heel faction with no tweener appeal? Because like that six man, ta- that six woman tag I reviewed on this show, they were still working 
like baby faces for half of it so that was really weird to me after i because i've I read that question i've heard that they are like you know full heels now and it feels like uh you know they just they, they're not really all that much more heelish but yeah natsu katora as a military leader is a really cool look for her i definitely heard that uh it's a much better look than she ever had in uh fucking the jungle assault nation uh if that's even their name <laughs> i think it is jan right jan 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 uh Velcage braca I, I always mispronounce his name i think i'm sorry buddy Velcage braca what percentage do you think queen's quest has in surviving the draft and not disbanding and members being seen among the other factions so i never even thought of this until you said it until you asked me this question so you know i guess it's higher than zero since you're asking and you think it's likely uh you know again someone who watches even more stardom than i do probably has a better feel of that to me it's like insane to even think about but i'm also kind of a uh qq stan as far as like if i was going to stand any of these units you know they have a lot of my favorite wrestlers and it's just a unit i've always really been drawn to so uh I don't know. I guess I guess you're saying it's pretty high, and I guess I'm gonna guess like fifty percent at least. But I really hope not because I love QQ, and why would we want to break them up? They're the greatest. Uh, Ice Age coming. It's Takumi Aroha, the coolest wrestler in the world. I mean, she's fucking up there. Have you ever seen that woman in a suit? I think it's at uh, Noah's Savior on Twitter, uh, Alex, who's been on here before, who always points out when she wears a suit that like she can rock a suit better than like most men. <laughs> like she looks so good in these fucking suits so yeah she is a very cool wrestler she's if she's not the coolest in the world she is high high on the list so that is a a good question by ice age coming let's see do we have any stardom related questions on the voices of wrestling server uh it looks like no so that's it for the stardom questions the other ones i would have are all japan questions which you've apparently heard already so folks uh that'll be it for this week i'd like to thank you all for listening uh next week we will be back on the show again to talk basically we have four straight nights of cork and hall coming up for new japan uh the 19th through the 22nd uh those four shows look really good uh, i don't know if you've seen these cards um might as well do like a little mini preview while i you know while we got a little bit of time here at the end although i i have no idea how long the all japan segment went so really i have no idea how long how much time we have but yeah, those are four really great cards. I mean, you, night one on the 19th, you know, you have a the Tiger Hattori retirement event. And, you know, I mean, it's a little weird having a re- whole retirement show for a referee, even one as legendary as Tiger. But, you know, his last two matches, he's going to rep them both. And the main event for his retirement match is actually pretty damn good as far as these six-man tags go. I mean, you have uh, Okada, Ishii, and Goto against Naito, Shingo, and Sonata. And, you know, this is not only a match where there's like no obvious pin eaters uh you know maybe Ishii will pin Shingo to put more heat on their never title match the, the next night but it's the first time Okada and Naito will be back in the same ring together since uh you know Okada uh of course lost the double title match to Naito at Wrestle Kingdom so that's a very interesting little match I'm, I'm pretty excited for that one uh, so definitely not one I'm going to skip or anything even beyond wanting to see Tiger's, I, I, I assume, final retirement. It looks like the, the man feels like he's had like 50 retirements, let's be real. Uh, night two, the first of the two New Japan Road Nights, of course, has two big title matches. Tomohiro Ishii challenging Shingo Takagi for the Never Openweight title, uh, a rematch of their outstanding match in the G1 last year. So, I mean, that there's no way that isn't good, basically. And then your semi-main, uh, Rapunki 3K against the Mega Coaches, 
of Rocky Romero and Yusuke Taguchi. They set that up at New Beginning Osaka. So that could also be really good. Uh, on the undercard, you have the the, the five original LIJ, mem- LIJ members teaming up for the first time in ages. I believe it definitely has to be the first time they've teamed up since Hiromu came back. Because um, I, I, I really can't think of when I watch all these shows. I mean, unless they did it on some house show that didn't air. But the first televised, I should say, at the very least. Uh, so you have Naito, Evil, Sonata, Hiromu, and Bushi against Manabu Nakanishi, Hiroshi Tenzan, Satoshi Kojima, Yuji Nagata, and Tiger Mask. Uh, you know, that's one of Nakanishi's last matches before leading up to his retirement on the 22nd. Uh, that is like one of those low-key, uh, you know, matches I'm hyped for because you basically have LIJ getting to be heels. It's always fun when they get to be heels and they're going to heal it up on the old guys and the fans are going to get mad at them. Uh, you know, Tiger Mask is going to be in there with... Uh, Bushi and Hiromu and Tiger Mask can still go. Uh, you know, Nakanishi is going to, like, go after Naito at some point. It's going to be fun. I mean, that's going to be a really fun match. So as far as undercard, 10-man tags go. So I'm excited for that one. Uh, the 21st, the New Japan Road Show, that's headlined by the IWGP Tag Team title match. Um, Gorillas of Destiny versus Tanahashi and Ibushi. And I, I've been knowing this on my Twitter feed uh, that, like, basically... So, so if you don't know how to check... Uh, New Japan ticket sales. It's basically three ticket sites you can look at, and on top of that, there's also you don't you have no way of knowing how the Corrigan Hall box office does. But like my understanding is basically when if they sell out of the three sites, then and they still have tickets up to the box office, the box office will basically send the tickets to the three sites, which apparently is what happened here because like when they announced this Tanahashi Ibushi title challenge, like. The tickets, you know, I try to do try to monitor the ticket sites to like you know see how New Japan's doing, especially when they they did the they had like the, those well publicized problems, um, you know, a couple weeks ago at the Road to New Beginning shows, like where that that first night did eleven hundred fans, you know, the second night uh, I think it was like twelve hundred, and the third night fourteen hundred, so very low numbers for New Japan at Corrigan. They're just running Tokyo a lot in the next two months so that you know apparently everybody saw those three cards which really nothing special and we're like oh, these are the ones we can miss i guess but yes i was very interested in monitoring how these tickets were selling and before they announced anything uh you know the two retirement shows were obviously way ahead of the new japan road shows uh the nakanishi retirement show already basically was sold out the tiger tori show was doing pretty well the, the new japan road ones were not doing well at all they were they ba- barely had anything sold uh after they announced the title matches the show on the 20th with the Never Title match, it picked up. But the show on the 21st with Tanahashi and Ibushi challenging G.O.D. for the tag titles, those tickets, like, they sold out of the entire uh, allotment. Like, all three ticket sites sold out everything they had in, like, a day or a day and a half after they put this that, after they announced that match. So, yeah, people are very into Tanahashi and Ibushi challenging the tag titles together. Uh, they're very into, you know the idea of them possibly becoming tag team champions here. They probably think it's very likely. So, yeah, they, that was, like, that was a big eye-opener that, like, you know, I guess not a big eye-opener because they're big stars, but, like, you know, just watching the tickets fly off the shelves was kind of crazy. But now, after a couple of days, they, they had more tickets on sale, and I think what happened was basically, like, the box office sent them some more tickets so they could go back on sale. So there you go. But, yeah, the 21st, I think, will sell out, uh, you know, if it hasn't already. I haven't checked today yet. But, uh, you know, the 20th... I mean, the, the 19th is almost there. The 22nd is sold out. I don't even know if, that, if that's 100% official, but, like, I haven't seen anything on the ticket sites in, day, in, in like, a week, honestly. Uh, the 19th is not quite there, but it's close. The 21st, you know, like I said, they did sell out of all their tickets, and they got a few back on sale, and they're probably sold out again after, you know, by the time I'm recording this. 
And the one that the only one of the four that might not sell out is the one on the twentieth, which is interesting because if you you know if you follow enough people, you'd assume Shingo like Western fans you'd assume Shingo and Ishii would be a lock, but it's behind the other three shows. So uh, there you go. But yeah, so the the twenty first you've got Tanahashi Ibushi challenging the God for the tag titles. You've got Taguchi, Cabana, and Yano challenging Shingo, Evil, and Bushi for the never six man titles. You have another six man tag with Okada and Naito. Uh, Okada, Osprey, and Rocky Romero. Will Osprey, by the way, the new, uh, oh, I guess, spoiler alert for Red Pro, the new British heavyweight champion. Okada, Osprey, and Rocky Romero against Naito, Sonata, and Hiromu. Um, yeah, some, so, like, this is, I think this is probably the weakest of the four shows, honestly. Uh, you know, especially if, you, I mean, like, you know, the, the main event, uh, it, it could be good, because Tanahashi and Bushi are very good wrestlers, but, uh, man, G.O.D. is on quite the run of bad matches, so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think this is probably the weakest of the four when you include, like, the, like, sentimental element of the Nakanishi retirement. And then finally, on Saturday the 22nd, it wraps up with the Nakanishi retirement. Uh, they, they put together a pretty all-star match there with Nakanishi, Tenzan, Kojima, and Nagata against Okada, Tanahashi, Ibushi, and Goto. Um, so that's, you know, your main event there. You know, and then we get the retirement ceremony. Uh, there's also a Naito Shingo Evil against Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Will Ospreay semi-main, which, you know, interesting to see Naito mix it up there, Ishii, who he's, you know, been big, 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 big rivals with. Wow, I'm, like, losing my ability to talk after <laughs> 38 minutes of solo podcasting. I don't know how Joe Lanz and Rich Crates do this. But, yeah, Naito and Ishii, uh, you know, there's so much history there. Um, you know, I would love if they if they get another title match because they pretty much always knock it out of the park. Uh, they did again in the G1 last year. And then maybe even, you know, Naito and Will Ospreay could have a singles match now. Uh, Ospreay's officially moved up to heavyweight now that he's the new British heavyweight champion. He did he did officially announce that on Twitter so people can stop asking, is he a heavyweight? Is he not a heavyweight? But yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting first time ever singles match. So we'll see if they tease anything. Obviously, Naito and Hiromu are going to have their big singles match on March 3rd, the anniversary show. I can't fucking wait for that. I mean, I'm looking forward to that as much as any other match, honestly. So there you go. So uh, next week at Omakase, we're going to cover all four of those shows. Uh, my guest will be Haley, who was on the show last year. Uh, people seem to really like her as a guest, so she'll be returning. We're also going to be talking about the DDT February 23rd Corican into the Fight 2020, uh, which I have the card here. I had to pause it to pull it up, honestly. So if you have a little, little weird little break there. But the main event is Masato Tanaka defending the KOD Openweight title against Mao. Uh, we have the inaugural DET Universal Championship match with Kanosuke Takashita against Chris Brooks. Uh, we have the Elimination 8-man tag with the new Damnation Stronghearts Business Partnership. Uh, Daisuke Sasaki, Tetsuya Endo, T-Hawk, and Al Lindeman against Akito, Shuma Katsumata, Yuki Ino, and Chihiro Hashimoto from Sendai Girls. That should be awesome. Uh, a three-way tag team match, Hiroshima and Yuki Ueno against Shima and Soma Takao, and Masahiro Takanashi and uh, Makoto Oishi. A six-man tag with Don Shokudino and Super Sasango Machine and Yasu Urano replacing Cody Hall, who uh, recently crashed out of DT in shame and disgust, as he, sh- as he should have, honestly. Against Shinya Aoki, Hiroshi Yamato, and Kazuki Hirata. Another six-man tag, Higuchi, Yukio Sakaguchi, and Saki Akai, that brand-new unit, against Toru Iwashi, Naomi Yoshimura, and Mizuki Watashi, and a three-way opener with Mad Polly, Yukio Naya, and Keigo Nakamura. 
So that card looks really great as well. So that'll be next week's Wrestling Omakase. Five big Corkins to talk about. Uh, four from New Japan and one from DUT. So I'm very excited to have Haley back on and talk all five of them. But folks, that'll do it. Uh, hopefully this solo segment went okay. Um, you know, this is only the second time I've done it, so be sure to let me know on either the Voices of Wrestling Discord or the Super Cast Discord or on Twitter, you know, if this uh, sounded all right or if you want me to do more of these in the future. You know, basically when I have a show I really want to talk about, but my guests I booked don't watch it because not everybody watches everything. You know, I, that's basically when I'm going to bust out these solo segments. So here we go. All, uh, stardom solo segment after an All Japan episode. Next week, we're talking New Japan DT. We really cover everything on this show. So, you know, thank you, as always, for listening. Or everything Japanese, I guess. Because guess what? We're not covering fucking AEW. There's only five podcasts on this network if you want to <laughs> hear some AEW coverage. Uh, shout out to the... They always plug every other podcast. So shout out to the uh, other podcasts on this network. Especially, um, I really enjoyed this week's uh, Wednesday War Games, where they seem to give me a personal shout out every week as their... Uh, <laughs> as their way to get me to keep listening, even though I don't even watch Dynamite or NXT. So shout out to Garrett and Liam, who are uh, two great hosts, and definitely check that that show out if you don't normally check it out. Check out Everything Elite, too, which is a, a cool podcast that we do not have a feud with, contrary to popular belief, but uh, I listened to that this week as well. Nate is going to be coming on in a couple weeks, so you know definitely check that out. They, they did a good job this week as well. Uh, there's the Voice of Wrestling flagship, there's Music of the Mat, to shake them ropes. Uh, I'm trying to list off. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Oh, duh, the fucking Super Jcast who hosts my podcast. Uh, yes, thank or host my uh, host my Discord server or a channel on the Discord server, folks. I am rambling like an idiot. Uh, I'm sorry if I forgot your podcast and you're on this network. Uh, I know there's that Lucha Underground one or something. <laughs> I'm making that up. That doesn't exist anymore. But folks, uh, thank you. As always, for listening, uh, I greatly appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Wrestling did not fit. Uh, please watch uh, Madoka Magica's side story. It's really good. Magia record. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. I don't know why I'm ending this plugging anime, but this, uh, if, you, if you're not watching the show, if you watch the original Madoka and you haven't seen Magia record yet, it's so good. In the last couple episodes, where they they did that all that like amazing art where they're like uh, counting down the number of lucky moments that the girls have left before something bad happens to them. Like you you have to like really look for the numbers, especially early on. But they they're constantly counting down. It's just like the art on that show is really really fantastic. And yeah, definitely watch watch Magia Record. All right, folks, <laughs> that's a really strange way to end this podcast. But I, again, thank you as always for listening. Uh, next week, New Japan DET. And follow us on Twitter, at Russell Omikase. Give me some money. I don't know if I deserve to be paid for this performance, but <laughs> Red Circle, uh, the, the Red Circle donate link is in the, bi- in the bio. <laughs> I'm like just laughing like an idiot to myself, and that's apparently what this podcast is now and folks we're gonna have fucking sponsors for the first time ever i'm gonna have to do an ad read can you imagine me doing an ad read that's coming soon because we have now network-wide sponsors so if you listen to all those podcasts i mentioned earlier or one of the ones i'm sure i'm i'm sure i fucking forgot to mention oh the five-star match game i definitely forgot to mention i've been on that one and i forgot to mention the five-star match game hopefully that's the only one i'm forgetting there was a ring of honor one for like two seconds i don't think that's still around 
five star match game i definitely did forget uh definitely check that out but folks uh the end of this podcast no one's listening to this anyway who fucking cares no one listens all the way to the end of the podcast but listen okay uh give us some money <laughs> sponsors i don't know why we're gonna have sponsors that's i'm gonna have to read an ad or several ads and you're gonna hear the same ads across all those podcasts i mentioned and i'm sure i'm going to do the worst fucking job of reading these fucking ads so i think that starts next week so there's a hook to tune in next week to hear me awkwardly and terribly read this ad copy so check that out Folks, I really got to hit stop on this episode. Thank you for listening. See you again next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.